0: so um brian we get to talk some volleyball today man i love it back to my wheelhouse you know yes sir we we can all exhale you know the the um the guy who came into november on a dementia drumstick beat the orange menace (laughs) menace (laughs) some people could breathe easy. some people are raising hell (laughs) but at the end of the day at the end of the day, the thing that unites us and not divides us, unless you're an asshole, is volleyball <laughs> and beach volleyball and indoor volleyball and volleyball and volleyball on planet Mars and grass court. Here we are, man, my man from Chicago. So before we got on the podcast, we, you had this very interesting question. Like Rich Lamborn is like um, uh, Taylor Crab and Jay Gibbs coach, and he was wondering like what – did Lamborn bring to the table as a libero that could have helped um, Taylor Crab improve his already, already good and ferocious defense. And it's a good question, man. Let's start there. Let's start there.
1: Yeah. You, uh, I think we started, you were talking just about the the difference in experience of playing that certain pairs have in relation to their coach. And you think about, I think you brought up Gibb and Crabb and, and Lamborn. He did play a little bit on the beach, but it was obviously after his, um indoor career but one of the things that i've always felt watching taylor crab that that makes him so incredible his ability to read things at a at a quick note you know to, to know hard driven when that ball's lining up inside outside you have so little time to to process that move your base to the right position and then get the dig um and he does it as well as any player in the world i would argue. So. You wonder just just what translates from from Lamborn's experience, obviously, you know, dealing with with some pretty serious heat from the best indoor players in the world, and what translates over to the beach is something that that I've never heard them talk about. But I'd be curious to to hear you know maybe some of the tricks, and maybe Crab and Lamborn don't want that out of the bag, especially until uh, the Olympics are over. But it, it'd be kind of interesting to know how that that translates.
0: Yeah, man. For me. Like as far as letting things out of the bag, every major sport that has success, that has big viewership, that has big popularity, everybody shares video with everybody. Because to them, the way you keep your avid fans and keep them engaged and the way you engage new fans is if someone already knows what your strategy is, then you have to come up. You have to reinvent. And you have to come up with with ways to either work around that strategy, or if you're just talented enough, it's just like you you against me. Boom, boom. Mano mano. Volleyball is a weird, weird sport where we, they ain't sharing no secrets. And and honestly, that's why you can you can watch a random beach game and it's exciting from play one. And then and then there's another beach game. You're just like, oh my god, I've seen this last year, and the year before that, and the year before that. Let me just go watch another match. Bye. You know. So <laughs> so so before so with that being. Being said, I really like Taylor Crab. I think it was his his defense, as, as on a general level, was always good. But I think it got better by um, just knowing his his limitations athletically. You know what I'm saying? Like knowing, you know, practicing, practicing, knowing what you can do and knowing what you can't do. And if you can't do something, you practice something till you can do it. And if you and if if you still can't, then you find other ways. But I think the way his Twitch reaction, you know, on on these fast ones and his ability to run basic run down anything that's up and down, (laughs) anything that's up and down or slightly up and down, it's up. Um, has helped him improve and, and I de- I certainly don't think Rich Lamborn's gonna hurt any of that. I thought he was already a ferocious defender before Rich Lamborn came along, but there's this level up thing where where um people outside the United States are saying are saying Taylor Crab, Taylor Crab F- on the F I V B scene. Oh best defender Taylor Crab. So now you know, now he's got global recognition because of of uh, the work he put in. So Yeah. Where, where yeah.
1: It, it's just you know. I think about that clip. I don't know if you saw it a couple months back, where Gib posted it, and uh, they're playing Lucena and Dollhauser. And Dollhauser options the ball and absolutely unloads on it from from right to left. And and Taylor dives into it. And and Gib said he's like, "This is might be the best dig I've ever seen in my entire life." Yeah, it's looking um, like a because shoot. Because you knew he's going to unload. Yeah. But if you've watched enough of his matches, it's not he's guessing. It's not luck. Like he has. A very good ability, you know. It it, there's not a lot of time for it, but you see that ball drop. I think of uh, Scoonover. I don't know if you're Travis, Travis, yeah. Um, he was one of the first defenders that I really watched in person. Uh, when I was traveling with the nbl a little bit, um, just anytime it was a hard driven ball, his line was just accurate. I remember talking to him about like, what, what are you reading? And he talked about like can you read where the ball's actually going to drop and where the hitter positions themselves? You know, at some point, if that ball's a little inside, you know, they've got to finish this way If that ball's travel a little bit. There's no way they're going to come this way. So, you know, they're going to turn on it. Um, And I think crab does it as well as any beach player I've ever seen. So, um, again, he he was a good defender to your point beforehand. You just, you just wonder again, what, what defensive drills, might lambord have from indoor that maybe people that have been beached their whole career um is there anything that he he you know couple extra tricks in the bag, I don't
0: know. I think he, he, he is, um, from an athletic perspective, he is an, a highly intelligent individual. You know, from baseball and then coming to volleyball in just a short time, be the starting libero for the, the not just the Olympic team, but the Olympic team that won a gold medal. And not just the team that won the gold medal, but won the gold medal where it took every player to win it. Like, every, if you go back to 2008, like, they don't beat Serbia Montenegro without – uh, Riley Salmon at the end with the power dinks and some of those really intelligent line shots, and he, and he was not there to provide offense. He's there to provide. I'm the best passer on the court. Reads the explosive guy. Like remember we had that that conversation about um, every every championship winning team had like a tandem of outside hitters where one guy it was more his role to be offensive, expo- offensively explosive and. And the other guy's like the best ball control guy. But if you need him, he could put some balls away. I mean, you could sure. go all the way back to Bob Stavertly. and Karch Karat for that, right? Like nobody used the block like Stavartley. So um, <laughs> he's the be- he's the single best player at, at using the block. And his son, Matthew at Harvard, <laughs> his chip off the old block. But going back, like Russia, had, I think, had a match point. Rich Lamborn literally went horizontal on a jump serve to position one. Uh, one-armed one-armed like a, a pass right to the target which USA the USA converted but that's he don't get that that's a rap you know so um and he just gets it from again from an athletic perspective I don't know his his academia and this and that and how good he was in the classroom and all that stuff but he seems like one of those crush at alpha males you know when you see him <laughs> you see the haircut you're like oh my god jersey sure is calling man you know but but then then you see how he works. You see the people he surrounds himself. You see the level of success he has. And, and hey, maybe we'll just get, call him, get him on the show and ask him. <laughs> you know.
1: I think about that 08 mm-hmm. team and living in the Chicagoland area. We were really lucky that most of the time when the World League came to the States, they picked three locations. And Hoffman Estates... Uh, Have the Sears Center, which is about 5,000 seats. And it was always a good location for them, especially because, unfortunately for the Americans, you know, Poland was always a great draw because all of the people that, that came over from Poland that were in Chicago would flood the place. I mean, it was always an away match because you had all these cheers. You had it with um, Bulgaria was just, I think the statistic was there's 150,000 immigrants uh, from Bulgaria in the United States and half of them are in Chicago so wow dude. going back to that 08 i forgot who they played in 08 it might have been italy um but i i what i remember of that team with with sam and 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 uh pretty and millar lee ball um stanley and and um, the poise on that court you know on top of just how good they were just so steady but between every point no matter what that crowd did everyone was coming to the middle um and that oh they they came to town a couple months before the olympics and you kind of saw yeah. well they, they won they world if you
0: remember they won world league right uh, I, I think what eight days before the olympics because i think the finals finished wait eight they beat brazil right and um, i yeah. think in brazil no yep. yep
1: yeah so um as years went on um there's a lot i would i wouldn't even say the talent was necessarily weaker but you just saw when when that leadership had retired and that that next wave had come in it, it just you know understandable you, you know those guys you know reed had to do three olympics before he kind of got to that point to, to have that captain you know leadership um you you just see that that it's been a building process and, and we're definitely getting closer um you know we, we've had a lot of success the last couple of years but but that 08 team, I'll, I will always remember getting to watch them that year, just, just before the Olympics. And, and, you know, aside from the incredible talent and watching Stanley just absolutely bomb jump serves, um, you know, that's that's a team you could show and just say, hey, even just looking between the plays and how they conduct themselves, it was – those guys knew what it took to to be the greatest, and they got a gold medal to show for it.
0: I think your camera's moving back and forth on me for some reason. I don't know why, but – but, um, is it my phone? It
1: could be my lighting, and I apologize for that.
0: No, it's actually literally moving back and forth, like towards you and away from you. But that's all right. The uh, listen, your audio is beautiful. You got you got that man <laughs> voice, that podcast worthy voice. I think with the U.S. team, timing was everything too. It happened to be a time where like the coaching staff challenged Reed Pretty to be a better serve receiver, even though his role was 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 more the explosive explosive end. They um players started playing overseas instead of just training in Colorado. They, they, you know, they, they, one of the, and it, I guess in pursuant of making a living out of this, I think Reed Pretty, Clay Stanley and Lloyd Ball playing in Russia and their mm-hmm. professional league at that time, Zedith Russia, Kav- Russia had the, Zedith, big, uh, yeah. yeah, Russia right. had the, the, at that time, Russia had the best professional league. It's, it's basically goes by decades. It's Italy, then Russia, then Italy again. So, um, it was so important to have international experience because I always tell my friends for every one tall white guy we got that can jump and 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 wow he gets off the ground wow he hits hard. Oh, wow. He's unstoppable. Like the people on the world scene have like eight guys like that. You know, they have guys that are taller than Clay Stanley to hit harder than Clay Stanley. Um, and that can receive serve you got middles that that can be primary passers so so playing overseas and mixing it up with those guys and, and just getting thick skin and Clay Stanley realizing that outside hitters get a lot of kills, but I mean oppos get a lot of kills, but they get blocked a lot right You accept that that's the life of a gangster, and you just keep swinging it out until you know and until you, you you find your way um when you talked about clay stanley i I was talking to you about players that that um what did I say that came through to win certain games? I thought Clay Stanley won the Brazil game. <laughs> you know the the gold medal match, right? The gold medal match is where I thought he shined the most. You know, um, yeah. Clay Stanley is um, uh, what what did I say? Rally Salmon won Serbia Montenegro. Um, David Lee against Russia very big at the end down by one point got a one ball kill block and then there was an absolute chuck on our back set by the russians (laughs) no one called and then david lee got another kill match point and then blocked their oppo for um for the game so so there were there it's so cool because like you said it was timing was everything and the and and their poise their ability to know that great systems beat great players, and their their ability to be high but not too high because we had this this discussion on previous episodes about big waves crashing. Yeah, big up, man. Big up to Lamborn. <laughs> big up to the U.S. national team. Clay yeah, Stanley, still, where did you he You interviewed
1: Millar not that long ago.
0: Yeah, Millar is awesome. Well, yeah, Millar. I I, I mean, I'm a fan of the sport more I'm, more than I'm a fan of players, but I've been. But with that being said, you can't help yourself. So there's a player here. I'm a fan. I follow that guy. I'm a, f- I'm a fan. I follow that guy. So, I mean, I was fortunate enough to interview someone that I do follow. And and I had a ton of questions about Athens, the, the one where they didn't win it, you know, and what really happened out there. Um, if you remember 15-up, game five against Athens in Greece, someone blew, and the crowd blew a whistle. Blew, and, and the Greeks stopped playing. But... You know who didn't stop playing? <laughs> Malar on the quick set. <laughs> Not my problem, you know. Right. So, yeah. But it was also a match, if people remember, and maybe I'm too old. It was a match where they were down 20 to 12. Yeah. Um, set four. Down two sets to one. Against Bar-Met Greece. That went off. Against Greece in Athens. In Greece. Yeah. Yep. Bench and Lloyd Ball put in Suja. You know, maybe hey, let's give the kids some playing time. He's gonna be around for next Olympics then. <laughs> and what did they do, man? They came back. Kevin Barnett uh got some pretty caught timely fire. kills. Got some pre yeah, didn't he? Didn't he yeah, yeah. He, he caught fire, man.
1: That's a anyone that's listened that's never seen that look up that, that clip from from when we were down twenty twelve in game four. It, it's yeah, I haven't I haven't watched that probably in almost ten years, but that's a I yeah it was it was it was such a good example of of you know the beauty of our sport is is we don't have a clock. so as bad as things can be, you get that one play and turn it around um you know and and that's it's always that excitement of like okay, you, you make a two or three point run you start feeling that momentum maybe the other side starts getting tighter um, you know that's that's what makes it fun. so yeah that just to see at the highest level like you said in Athens against Greece it was I, I can't imagine. Um, that that rush they felt after that final point. What the, the best victories are the ones that are the most uncertain, you know. And uh, to to be on that stage with that score in that in arena, I, what what could you do to make it more dramatic than that? Maybe to make it a gold medal match. But at the end of the day, I, that's. Yeah. Any, anytime you come back where where the odds are against you, there's, there's got to be some satisfaction. Yeah, well that,
0: that was a that was a winner goes to the medal rounds, right? That was the quarter the quarterfinals. So, yeah, but against Greece in Athens, um, and it's weird because Greece had a pretty good professional league, um, and Ryan was like the head coach. He talked to the head coach, and they, they said this could probably this is probably the end of of you know, volleyball here as we, you know, could, it's the beginning of the end and two years later, like all the leagues folded and they don't really, you know, exist anymore. You know, they don't have a men's national team. I don't think they don't, I mean, you know, Jeff Alzina was there. I think, I don't know if he was building their, their, their beach team. They were thinking more towards 2008 and he actually helped build their beach team in, um, 2004 because they're, you know, you're the host, right? So you have an automatic bid if you're the host. So let's make it happen if we can. So. Yeah, but I really, that was, but one of the questions I had with him was, did he hear the whistle, you know, and just play <laughs> or or did he not? And he was like, dude, it was so loud. He didn't hear anything except volleyball because right. it was so, I mean, I guess besides being an elite athlete sometimes, and you have played, but you're a former player too. Um, me, I've always had this thing where I, um, like Kevin Costner from For the Love of the Game, you turn this mechanism on where you could see people, but you can't hear them. I was able, when I competed, I was able to do that. You know, if I got too loud, I would just take a deep breath, let it out. And then, boom, I I don't even, I could someone, I could lip read someone cursing me out in the crowd, but I can't hear them. So, (laughs) and Ryan said he didn't even need that. It was so noisy there. They were singing songs. It was Greece against Greece and Athens they had a bonfire in the gym indoors someone so someone, someone lit up or whatever and they just they were having a bonfire and I mean it was just it was just this this crazy environment yeah. where you're like
1: fire codes are a little different overseas yeah. huh <laughs>
0: yeah and it's like dude I mean if, dude if we're there I'm just like Brian there's a there's a fire and you're like dude just concentrate <laughs> we're we're in the middle of a match dude. <laughs> you know. <laughs> you you'd have to be the one to bring me back. <laughs> where did um remind me, where did Clay Stanley play? I wonder. Oof. I mean, I know
1: he's from Hawaii. Was he? I don't know for you know, I was when, oh wait, I was twenty three. I was right. just starting I didn't really watch high level ball till twenty. So right. I know he's from Hawaii originally, okay. right? But he where'd he play his college ball?
0: Oh no, we're gonna we're gonna figure that out as we go. <laughs> I got I got a little It's a lot of indoor talk for
1: us. That's a change of pace.
0: Dude Oh my goodness. Let's see. i want to look it up. Let's look up Clay Stanley. Clay, he where do you play at
1: Hawaii, at? did he?
0: That's a good question. I oh, know he didn't play at Stanford. I always when I think of big booming opposites, uh, for some reason I think of um S C. Not I see the guy um Mike Lambert who played for Stanford who kinda he was like Lambeau. this rock star in um Stanford and then Until I think Lambo i think really was, washed was out the I formation really really washed, with Car Yeah, really washed out on the on the um he went to ha- Kaiser High School, Honolulu, Hawaii. Let's put it up. Kaiser High School, Honolulu, Hawaii, did not play volleyball in high school as the school did not have a boys' team at the time. What? <laughs> he attended University of Hawaii where he majored in Spanish. Oh, you lazy bum. Freshman, <laughs> shirt of the sophomore year, decided to forego his senior year and play professional year. Oh, but his dad, professional. Was a,
1: I, his dad was a pretty high-level player. I've seen I've seen his dad play um, at nationals in like the, the 65, 70, 75 and up.
0: Yep. Stanley's father played in the six, 1968 Olympic Games. And is the yeah, a bunch Hall of those game.
1: guys on the 68 team play together in the in the older uh, division sometimes. So, I mean, again, it's been – man, I've not played nationals since – I did once in 17, but before that 13, and I think my first year was 05, so.
0: Yeah, Butch May played on that team, six, 1968, Misty's father, you know time grace. God. I mean, California, where there's just like more players than anywhere else in the United States, it's still incestuous. It's still incestuous like that, you know. It's like, <laughs> fa- you know, these family. <laughs> maybe there is a genetic argument to be had or whatever. But and and we're definitely going to get into genetics later. But actually, I did mention Stanford. Because Stanford, if you remember July last year, um, well, I don't know if they announced it in July. July is when it started blowing up in the press that they, this season for their men's team was going to be their last year. And I'm like, dude, why? And what what the hell is anybody doing about this? I'm going to give you the floor in a minute because I, I guess my question is, why would someone, a college men's NCAA team, cite as a pretext that they don't have the money?
1: <laughs> I mean, it's not about having the money. It's about do they want to invest it, right? And and it's not just about what the cost is, what's the re- return on investment. So I'm going to tell you right off the bat, I'm probably not going to be popular with a, a group of people with some of the things we're going to talk about today because I know the topics that you want to address. And, this isn't and a popularity as a, contest. As a volleyball person, I understand. I mean... I think about the worst to first uh, with Ferguson, and I think that was um, his name. Um, you know, to go from last place and then that freshman class three years later win a national championship—the the tradition, the history—I get it. You look at their, you know, twenty-two billion dollar endowment—I get it. But I also recognize the fact that that um, aside from what Hawaii for the women at one point in Nebraska, every we're an Olympic sport. We we At the end of the day, for college sports, you've got football and basketball that are generating money. And those took a huge hit. Um, I don't know if it's accurate, but Coach K said in an interview early on in the pandemic that March Madness accounts for 98% of the NCAA revenue throughout the year. That strikes me as a little high, but I am certain that between football and basketball, um, 98% might be underestimating it, right? Yeah. I mean,
0: quantitatively Um, speaking, think about it, right? The NIT and the NCAA, the number of teams that are invited, the number of people you can jam in stadiums, the number of games to be played to get to the Final Four and the Finals. TV deals. It's that simple. It
1: generates money. People pay to go. Um, And, you know, Kathy DeBoer from the AVCA has been straightforward well before the pandemic about the concern that as the Power Five conferences um, sought to maybe even start their own thing beyond the NCAA, um, as their TV deals became more exclusive to to those industries, how we would see mid-tier programs um, possibly be dissolved and stuff like that. Um, so you look at a pandemic and you look at everyone trying to to um, limit their losses and you have to look at it as a school as a whole. Yeah, they've got 20, you don't get $22 billion in your endowment by throwing it recklessly. Um, it sucks. I, I, you know, my school, closed completely um may of 2019 you know I, I know what it feels like to lose you know your tradition i i always dreamed our school finished sixth in the nation for d3 in 0708 i liked the idea of eventually if there was a school hall of fame or or you know, there was a lot of pride there we 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 did a lot to to try and build that program up um, and we don't even have a campus to go back to we don't have that that feeling i didn't even get to play a fourth year. I I found out the night that I celebrated my senior year. Um, I, I'd I'd given my coach the information to appeal um <laughs> for, for one more year of academic eligibility. Um, and she didn't even submit it and she didn't tell me about it. And my captain had to come to me the morning of my um of the senior night match that I was considering myself a junior I said, Brian, you have to let them do this for you. But I didn't have parents. I didn't have anyone show like, you know, it was a very s- crappy ending, but I made it through. Um I know a lot of people are trying to raise money for the program and I hope that the school will consider that. But at the end of the day, you know, even if all these people raise money for a year, okay, well, we don't have any idea right now what college is going to look like after this all settles down. We don't know what's going to change in regards to, to um, you know, on-campus housing, pricing. Um, a lot of people are starting to question college in general. I'm not saying uh, that's the norm, but I just think it's very up in the air on how colleges are going to respond once things settle down and the money they've already lost. And, and where they're gonna cut it. And I think Stanford, for all of us, should be an example that no one's really safe. I'm not afraid of it, but at the end of the day, we're about to realize the fact that our sport, for whatever reason we wanna talk about, and that's another thing, we have not found a way to promote the sport in a manner where it's generating funds at the college level um, so that these people that may not have the same connection you and I have to these volleyball programs, when they've got to decide whether we cut it or whether we keep it, feel that it's a good investment for the university as a whole. Um, and and while I know the passion and the history, the tradition of the program, I think, you know, as a sports management, you know, that that's my industry. That's my background. That's, that's what I got my degree in. Y- you have to look at the books, and and tradition doesn't pay the bills. It doesn't pay the scholarships. And um, again, they have the money, but Stanford's an educational institution. It, it's for education. Sports is secondary to that. You have to look at the educational institution as a whole and the people in power and what their overall goals are for the for the you know entire program. And while tradition is undeniable at Stanford, especially for that program, um, again the worst of first. I'll always remember that run. Um, at the same time you have to realize that a lot of the people are thinking about things well beyond our sport. And um, it's great that we're raising money in the short term, but does that change the fact that they're probably looking and saying, well, on a regular basis, we know um, that this sport does not regularly stay in the black. So just being objective, unless we come up with a solution that goes beyond one-time donations, um, unless programs are able to kind of show organizations, their institutions that are concerned about money, um, that they're not going to be putting, um, you know, at, running at a deficit. All those programs are, are at the mercy of, of administrators that, to your point, uh, care about the tradition and, and what it brings versus what it doesn't. Um, you know, and, and while volleyball, especially on the men's side, there's a limited amount of scholarships, so a lot of those people are paying in. Um, you know, there's so many variables that behind the curtain we can't see. Um, that that makes it difficult for us to, you know, we can be happy or unhappy with the decision, but for us on the sidelines to say it's a good or bad decision, we don't have the data.
0: Yeah. Well, for me, it, the, the sad thing is, you though you are right that there's a whole bunch of things behind the curtain that we can't see, and and. I do. I don't disagree with that, but I, I. for many people, I do disagree with just because there's a lot we don't see doesn't does does not automatically mean that just you know just because I don't understand how to how a steak is made doesn't doesn't mean I know nothing about steak, right? I don't need to be a chef to know what tastes like liver and what tastes like steak. And right now, um, I see I'm tasting liver, Mr. <laughs> McDermott. Okay, you by your own admission, by our own admission. NCAA uh, men's volleyball is the bastard child of NCAA sports. Okay, they only offered four. They only offer four point five scholarships, which was awesome back in the nineties when you had like an eleven person, a twelve person roster. Right, you could give a full ride, or you could just go three full, three partial, or whatever. But slicing that pie up with these rosters that have as many as eighteen people, UCLA had twenty two people on their roster. Nonsense. Volleyball has been paying uh, their their way most of the way. And you have a but, school like Stanford that right, only rivals—hold on, let hold, me, on hold, hold on, hold on. When you have a school like Stanford that only—only rival, only, uh, only Harvard rivals the most sports, probably. It's inexcusable to have a sport that never brought money in, uh, to the school in the first place to say we're, we're cutting it because we don't have money.
1: So, so let me ask you in regards to Stanford, UCLA, Harvard, the three you said. If they cut this program— those 17 or 18 roster spots, those people that were paying for their own way, but now we're not going there. Are you telling me that that school with that prestige isn't going to fill that with another academic student? Is it genuinely bringing people in? You know, I went to Newberry College. Right, yeah. And I would have never gone to Newberry College unless I played volleyball, right? Mm-hmm. But Newberry was not, I mean, there, there's a reason we shut down, there was not, that the supply exceeded the demand. There wasn't a lot of demand for for a school uh, like that. The staff was fantastic. I love that school, but it didn't have the same reputation. Stanford is never going to be hurting for applicants and people willing to pay to go there. So I, I'm not disagreeing that there are people that go to UCLA, that go to Stanford, that go to Harvard, that play on those teams and their, their um, tuition comes with it. Mm-hmm. But I will respectfully disagree about the idea that by cutting those programs, that those schools are going to lose out on those tuitions and enrollments because they're going to get it with academic schools. I'm not
0: I'm not talking about losing out, losing, losing those students. Okay. I mean, if I'm going to talk about losing students, I'd be contradicting myself because the the dumb jock is, is is more of a myth when it comes to college sports than it is than it is a reality. I mean, I don't know what the hell they were doing back in the 70s and the 80s where you got guys that are playing college basketball that couldn't even read a book. But but that doesn't pass anybody's sniff test now, particularly with men's volleyball. I did my own little personal study just with CUNYAC uh, men's teams, uh, uh, Division Three or whatever, and with Harvard. And if you look at the banquets where they hand out awards for cumulative team GPAs, Men's volleyball ranks in the top five in almost every single school. All right, absolutely. And and putting more money in doesn't mean you're recruiting a dumb athlete and we just, we let him go through. Um, Sherman was a 3.9 at Stanford. Uh, Andrew Luck, don't even get me started because he didn't study swimming pool maintenance. That dude was trying to be some kind of crazy <laughs> engineer. So 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 I don't buy that either. There, I mean, are the good students going to come there either uh, uh, as well? But there. How many times does someone jam a stadium with ten thousand people to watch a chemistry experiment? <laughs> you know? It is just like the arts. What the hell is arts the art what the hell does the arts bring to the school? What kind of money does does that do? No, it's it's there for the same reason that sports is there. It's there for, for community, It's there for unity, and it's there for for um to teach people something, um to teach people life other than just academics. Sorry, you're gonna say something?
1: Well, just to that point, I agree with you. But at the end of the day, like the elephant in the room we can't ignore is that with basketball and football, those create a community that create a profit. Mm-hmm. And while you can, you know, get some decent crowds at Stanford, at the end of the day, when it comes to the travel to playing their away matches, when it comes to, to you know, staying where they stay, it's... It's at a deficit. We're on the same page with that, right?
0: They've always been at a deficit. That's right. that, that's my so, argument. They've always been at a deficit. And as far as traveling is concerned, they're the least travel team. You, I mean, to play Stanford, you have to be local, where they get their ass on a on a team bus and go there, or you come to them. They don't. They only and the only full time salary is the head coach. All of the, all of the assistant coaching positions are, are volunteer assistants. Um, as far as getting a net or, or painting courts and stuff like that, they're already set up. All right, because they already have poles for the women's team. They already have a net that's interchangeable from seven four, seven four, and an 8 to seven eleven and five 8 um, Four point five scholarships on an eight, on an eighteen person roster. Trust me, they, that 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 team are they losing money? Yes, but. Uh, losing money where it's breaking Stanford's bank. No, man, they're gonna have to miss No me one on said it's on breaking Stanford's bank.
1: But, but I not, reiterate that's, but that's what I'm that saying. the people that are making the decisions mm-hmm. aren't in this to, to say whether or not they right. feel can they sustain it or not. But that
0: decision has always been there for them. They could use that decision every single year that Stanford has played volleyball, including the year they won the NCAA championship. So it's 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 harvard i mean all of these all of these academic schools that the rationale why you can cut something is hot 97 rhyme ready <laughs> okay it's it's always there when they need it um and then to me i don't know i mean if i'm owning if i'm if i'm owning the business and i got 11 employees and i need to make cuts do i cut five employees that only make thirty thousand dollars each or am i gonna cut the guy who makes two hundred and fifty five thousand <laughs> dollars
1: well, but what is that I person mean, that makes two hundred fifty five thousand bring in, and that's the whole why yeah. do you think that these football coaches get paid the money yeah. they get? Because Sabin. By winning those championships at Alabama, Uh they could pay him eight to ten million a year, and what he brings and maintains for the tradition of that program, they're way in the black. I mean, you get the TV deals alone; we're talking billions of dollars. But
0: football and basketball and college sports is not there to carry their own teams; they are there to carry the the uh, the athletic program. (laughs) They know that they don't have to pay. That sounds
1: on paper, I agree with you. But are you really going to tell me that when 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 the pandemic finishes and we've got all like all of a sudden football and basketball programs are looking at the amount that they projected and making and losing. You think that those are the programs that are going to take the hit on their margins or or their resources or their staff? No. But I'm saying that there's so much they're gonna trim the programs that they feel Mm -hmm. are are least likely. And again, I want to reiterate. I'm not saying I like it or agree with it. What I'm saying is I completely understand it. And what we have to start accepting with with all college sports, because I don't even think people, I hope I'm wrong, but I don't think we're scraping the surface in the next five to 10 years. There's been a talk beyond sports about, you know, Alternative opportunities for people to to get ready for their careers aside from just getting a degree, right? I I had a great college experience, but a lot of people are under the impression that for some people they they didn't need their degree to do what they want, and I think we're starting to see with the internet and entrepreneurial ships, um that that college, I'm not saying it's getting phased out, but it's not you know, the bubble's going to burst on, on these tuitions going up and people going there. And especially the with what we've seen in the last year. Right now, you know, dude. don't think that room and board, you know, my, my room and board for my last year was five figures. So if all these people decide, you know what, I'm going to start doing my classes virtually, remotely to save money. Um, again, there's just so many things that we can't possibly see that, again, whether or not Stanford can absorb it, Mm -hmm. Um, just because they've got 22 billion in endowments and they can afford to see that number drop. Doesn't mean that the people in power are willing to,
0: again, to me, that's exactly the reason why they, why it should, why they shouldn't cut the teams. I mean, just because is actually to me is because, all right, like you said, football, basketball has these teams in the black. And I am suggesting to you and everybody else listening that there's, Plenty of black, <laughs> okay. Plenty of black to, to to survive these hits. COVID. Listen, COVID might be the end of men's beach volleyball <laughs> as we know it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's. I mean, it was. It was, There was some somewhat of an ascension. There was these these waves and this and that. But I spoke to some guys on this train, and they're like, "Man, this could kill men's beach volleyball." Women, you know, are already. Uh, I think it was already a snowball growing too big, where they'll be back women's beach. But this could be the end of men's men's beach volleyball, and men, and. And if they said that about men's beach volleyball what the hell were they going to say about men's indoor volleyball which like you said was hemorrhaging even in the black right think about you you went to an East Coast school think about when you were a pub just before you got there all of these great programs I got cut Queen's College got cut, Concordia which in New York upstate New York which which their program no one talks about but significantly better than the Concordia in Irvine because of their foreign recruiting just put I'm telling you just put put them put them up against each other and see what happens I'm um, what else? Southampton doesn't even liu doesn't even have a campus. So produced uh, two players on a national team, and Mike Salick who's like a, a popular New York player. Roger Williams, Rhode Island, you know, uh, awesome Division Three program. East Stroudsburg University. All of these programs got cut in the late '90s when volleyball was at its peak. <laughs> so I, we are like you said, we we're, we're, we're kind of on the same side in so many ways. We, it, it was a matter of time that if something went bad. <laughs> I mean, because it's getting cut when things are good. It's like it gets bad. We're in deep shit, man. Men's I mean, volleyball's in deep, deep doo-doo, man.
1: I mean, something that that, you know, and again, not saying this is gonna be the popular. This is just my perspective no. with my background in sports management and, yep. and just understanding a little bit about the reality of what powers that be are focused on financially, whether we agree with it or not. I think the best thing on top of fundraising we should be doing collectively as a sport is saying, how do we cut as many unnecessary financial requirements as possible right can we do things with scheduling Mm -hmm. you know or try matches or certain things to to limit travel block scheduling yeah Yeah. cuny CUNY was awesome with that city university in
0: new york oh my god biggest you have to d3 d3 probably has to do
1: it better than division one because i mean man yeah i remember you know six dollar meals for us Um, i remember working bc's football basketball hockey games but block scheduling
0: is is awesome dude yeah so i just think like okay
1: we can sit here and again a lot of us is the peanut gallery. we can sit here and say how this sucks they shouldn't cut it blah blah, blah. or we could be objective about and say okay two things one i think we're doing a great job i think stanford from what they've said they're doing a fantastic job raising money but knowing that despite that the administration is is not budging we need, you know let's be objective about it what is it that makes you so adamant that you can't keep this program and if it's a matter of cost analysis then then instead of saying we don't agree with it and just butting heads and we're going to lose um what can we do for our program to still get the amount of matches we need to make the season make sense and do so in a manner where the cost isn't something where they say this isn't the direction we want to go um it's just reality It's, it's if they don't do that and no one changes their minds then Mm-hmm. we're going to be very sad in a year and I, I hope it doesn't come to that no but. me
0: neither man guys listening because again college sports is very much like the arts money unless it's football or, or basketball um money doesn't really have anything to do with it what the hell does money have to do with college sports what the hell does money have to do with you know uh the arts okay like like you we just you talked about cutting corners in this and that like Okay. We'll only pay a head coach. All the assistant coaches would be volunteer. Okay. We're not going to, we're not going to give them 12 full scholarships. We're going to give them 4.5, you know, scholarships or this or that. So, so like you said, what, the only thing more that they can do than that is cut, is cut it. Or, or
1: what can we do with our program to be more aggressive Mm -hmm. to get more butts in seats? You know, I mean, let's go full circle back to beach. Like, you look at the crowds in 80s and 90s, and a lot of it is just because drinking was a lot more acceptable back then, and so it was more of a party just versus just a sport. But on top of that, Sinjin was such an aggressive promoter everywhere he went, anywhere he could talk to get local people to want to show up and pay for merchandise and pay for, for you know. Pat Powers used to talk about those trucks that would come in with apparel and people would line up and it would be sold out by the end of it, right? It's true. We haven't, I'm not, saying it's anyone's fault, but it's just the reality that we haven't generated the interest in our sport where people will pay an amount of money in the same way that football and basketball has created. And, and at some point we have to recognize that a lot of the money that has allowed us to run men's volleyball has been on the backs of those other sports. And if we're getting to a point with, for whatever reason, that, that administrations are starting to look and say, we think we're about to take a huge financial hit and where can we limit the damage? Um, I feel it's on us to figure out how do we make our sport that much marketable, which frankly we should have been doing for the last 10 to 20 no years doubt. anyways, because if we had gotten to that point in advance, certain programs that may be on the chopping block might've been able to, to um, avoid it. And but I know Bri- it's tough. Brian,
0: why would they still say no if they're raising the money?
1: Because, okay, so so how much money are they raising?
0: That's the question.
1: Right. Like, I, I, that's my point. I don't have that. I can't answer that question because I don't know what the costs are for an entire season. I don't know the money that's actually been raised. Is the amount of money raised enough to survive one or two more seasons? Or are they showing the administration an amount of money where they say, okay, we feel that this is sustainable long term. You and I don't have the answers to that. Um what I know is the results at the moment are still not what we want. So clearly, whatever they've done, what we know is whatever they've done, it's not enough to the powers that be. I don't so like it. That I ration- don't agree But, with
0: but by that rationale, can we say that since we don't have the numbers, can't, are, are we not at liberty to say that we completely understand why that program is being cut then? Right? I mean, I mean we could, see we how can that understand- argument goes both what, ways? What I
1: can understand... Is that the powers that be who are looking at the books as a whole for the school, mm-hmm. look at that program and say it's it's not doing enough good versus what yeah. we prioritize and we feel that, that it's a liability. I
0: totally agree saying- with you on that. I totally no. agree with you on that. And as far as putting butts in seats is concerned, let me tell you something. And you, speaking of saying things that are not very popular, <laughs> dude, you're on the right show at the right time, right place, certainly with the right guy. I will say this and you can laugh or, or whatever and just, just hold on to your seat when I say this. <laughs> Everybody listening, every, on the audio, on the video version, I got the camera right on you. If more people are coming to the... CUNY, City University, New York semifinals and finals. If that place is jamming the, the arena more than the MPSF, <laughs> it's the problem. <laughs> the MPSF, Mountain Pacific Sports, well, uh, whatever. If, if more people are coming to watch Baruch play Hunter <laughs> for the 16th time in, in, in 18 years, then they are coming to watch USC play Pepperdine. Uh, Division 1 di- versus, you know, Division 3 programs, Division 1 programs. You have an argument, Brian, <laughs> you, as far as butts and seats is concerned. You have an argument, dude. If I mean, NECVA, even back then, NECVA, when you made the NECVA finals against Vassar, one of the most crowded, I mean, it was bleachers and it was standing room and then people were standing on chairs. People were piggy piggyback riding on top. It was, and it wasn't even <laughs> a finals. It was Nazareth. It was uh, Newberry against ne- Nazareth. Yeah, Nazareth. I've, that that's I've Nazareth, never Nazareth. seen an indoor. Uh, I mean, y- look, <laughs> you you have sportsplex that that have seats that can accommodate hundreds and hundreds of people. Um, Nekva, I, I think who was the host? Ramapo, right? Yeah,
1: it was in New Jersey. It was.
0: I've never seen. I've never seen an indoor event like that. And I'm like, why is ha! <laughs> Jamming more people to put forget butts and seats butts well, pe- butts on their feet butts on shoulders than than the MPSF finals is
1: I'm 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 gonna be objective as much as I'd love to say yeah it was because the interest well when you get 16 teams in one building for one you know single elimination winner take all tournament you now a lot of those seats were people that were participating families of people that were participating but. Yeah what kept them there versus going to eat somewhere else and not participating and watching was, there was a storyline. Every single person that was in that gym, right, was connected, whether it was, I'm watching people that just beat us, I wanna see if they're gonna make it. I'm watching the teams that we might play after, right? Maybe, you know, I I was literally on Volley Talk interviewing guys, um, you know, Joe Trinzi from Stevens, um, you know, the Elms guys, I, I would talk to them. I interviewed five or six people then we post it on Volley Talk and I asked everyone, like, who's your underdog? Who's your team to watch? You know, who's your player to watch, right? So, like, we in our own community built this network of, of storylines and relationships. And, and you know, with basketball and football, I think part of the allure is they've got pro leagues where there's, like, the drafts, right? So, so you know, I'm not even a huge football or basketball college fan, but I can name certain players and storylines cuz it dominates, right? And then people get interested in it. And something that we need to be able to do is is make these people more recognizable. We need people to not go because they want to watch good volleyball. We need people to want to go and have that energy of we're watching this team versus that team. And every point you feel that crowd go up or down with the results. I mean, that's We've talked about that with, with AVP. That's one of the challenges is, you know, Chicago always gets good numbers. Yeah. But you don't feel that energy of like the crowd is rooting for one team versus the other. They don't identify with the, the villain and the victor, right? Yeah, And so you don't, and that's one of the, like, I think some of the most exciting volleyball um, events I've ever been to. By far, the one common trait they all have is whoever that crowd is, even if it's only 500 to 1,000 people, you can tell that there is a dog that they're rooting for. And you could feel that excitement with every single point on who wins and loses. And I don't think that we've built that. Um, maybe you've done it in our small communities. Um, some schools do it better than others. I think Lewis does a fantastic job of, um, you know, one thing know the the coaches at lewis their their daughter was prematurely born um and they started a found and she's doing great now and they've started a foundation in her name and and they've done events at the you know for matches that are for the ray strong foundation and i think that's like finding ways to get involved with the community and then tie it into your athletic program they have people that have been in the stands that have have connected with the Lewis program that had no interest in volleyball, but they were able to bring something that, that people were able to connect with. And I think that is kind of the, the that's the challenge for all of us as we go forward is we got to stop depending on those revenue sports. And if we don't like it and we don't like the way the administration says, then it's on what do we, you know, Hey, a lot of people don't like when they don't get to start. Well, yeah. what are you going to do to earn your playing time? It's true. Well, that was a bo- there
0: at. was a boom period for men's volleyball in the early nineties. I mean, like Hawaii, University of Hawaii was in the semifinals. I mean, that was a basketball crowd. <laughs> <laughs> you, but it's gotta know, it's you know, gotta Penn, be every Penn match. State, it's got it we've gotta we've gotta make it a must. It, it doesn't have to be everyone at the but at, or at least, dude, or at least the playoffs. I mean, if not every match, at least the playoffs. I mean I mean you are right on every point except except for people being at, at Negvas after they lost or whatever, because that was a three-day tournament and a lot. Lot of those people, single elimination. A lot of those people were already gone, and the people that chose to come back, like you said, took the journey. So, I definitely give you points on making on hammering in that point. I would also suggest to you, and a lot of people don't want to hear this is be uh, a lot of the people that they enlist to run Division I sports and the AVP or whatever are people who think that start their, their star power alone is going to generate the fan interest and attendance. And unfortunately for them. Uh, their star power does not transcend two generations. It barely transcended one generation, and and it's certainly not going to transcend two generations. You know, like you're talking about Sinjin, you're talking about Stokeless, right? Um, I'm a club coach for beach volleyball. Yeah, out of the 18 girls, I was I was I mean I was I was at in the summer. Um, out of the 18 girls, me. How many of them knew who St. Smith was? How many of them knew who Randy Stoklas was? One, two. Okay. Uh, oh, I'm wrong. Five of them did. That's five out of 18. Even if I'm wrong, I'm still wrong. I'm still wrong. I'm still wrong and make my point, you know? So sure. um, it's about, like you said, enlisting the right people uh, um, that, well, I guess from a business perspective, enlisting the right people who are good at marketing and, and promoting the sport and finding ways to put butts in seats. But I think personalities like I don't know if you know who Rob Besparo is, man. I would yeah, I, I would know. have that guy commentating at every single game. I mean anyone that's listened to him is being like, I wonder When the next game is Because he takes you on his journey Kevin Barnett is an indoor king At Kevin Barnett A lot of times I'll watch an international game And if it's not him I'll just watch it on mute Or whatever You know what I mean I've been teasing this guy It's been like crap on Kevin Barnett Month Every month As far as his commentary On beach volleyball But my resolution is to Is to put some respect On that man's name Because I thought I crapped on him Too much last year Uh, But But personalities like that Uh, Maybe I'll I'll even go So so far as to say me I called all the Pepperdine's home games And someone taps me on the shoulder, hey my friends are listening from from in Wisconsin. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? And they think you're awesome. You know, so start generating some of those those thing the the those things where just oh we're great. Oh I'm oh I'm 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 I sound like I'm crapping on people. We're great, come and see me. And if you don't come see me, then You know, you don't know what you're doing, you know, so there's there's a high level of arrogance with with volleyball from from uh, two generations ago where y'all need to. And I'm speaking as a 50 year old, someone that that was not not just some young guy crapping on old people. No, I was there. I saw. So you like you and me, we did see the waves. You know, And that wave was big, and I was like, man, when it crashes, I wonder who they're going to blame. <laughs> I wonder who <laughs> they're going to blame. Not if it crashes, when it crashes. So, sorry, what were you going to say? But No, it's just,
1: you know, mm-hmm. I, th- I think it, it's, if I was, if I had to be like, okay, you have to try and fix the situation. Mm-hmm. All I know is I would be trying to figure out who, who are people we can market the most, mm-hmm. right? What are the storylines? I wanna build the storylines of, when well, we've got a match coming up, who are the villains, you know, the superstars on the other team, what their stories are, right? Um, you know, it, the, the ramifications of this game for long-term things like that. We, you know, we we want to make it so that alum and current students, and frankly, locals that identify, you know, just like you and I do for our pro sports team, you're wearing your Yankees hat every day, you know? what What is it that that as a kid, got you hooked on the Yankees. And even on the West Coast, mm-hmm. you still identify with that team because there's a connection there.
0: Yeah, We well, got to
1: find a way. We we can't, like you said, to that arrogance, we can't. It, it's our job to make it interesting for someone else. And if they're not interested, then we need to take a step back and look in the mirror and say, well, why are we not as interesting as other sports? And, you know, yeah. I, I look at where we're at now with volleyball. I think it's a great sport. Um, but it reminds me a lot of, of the 50s and 60s, you know, football and basketball where guys were taking part-time jobs in the offseason and it wasn't, they didn't have the TV deals or the money, right? Um, but it's very similar in the aspect that a lot of people that play pro volleyball aren't professional. They have to work other things to make ends meet. Um, and you saw in basketball, like March Madness and Bird vs. Magic coming to the NBA, you started to get these personalities and these rivalries that excited people even if they weren't originally connected to
0: it yeah well yeah and right. i think we're getting closer rising tides lifts all ships right yeah i mean and look we're at-
1: getting closer and especially with the internet and i like you know hopefully yeah. this this new league that they're trying in texas it's going to be an interesting test for. but I'll, I'll tell you i'm a volleyball person um i don't i i i'm not I, i'm going maybe on. people gonna, <laughs> i don't i don't i'm not that interested right now i don't connect no. right now with with some of the people i want to Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but you know what people are busy. I'm a volleyball guy and I'm busy. Yeah. So, so Well, the I'm league. Interested. I mean,
0: the, the league can't survive exclusively on purist On what on, on volleyball purist Vol, uh, right. on, on, on volleyball, super enthusiast, you know, I mean, we need volleyball casuals. We need people that, that never played the sport, but see something. Wow. That's interesting. I want to know more like MMA. Look at mixed martial arts, right? How long were they in? How long was the UFC in the red? They were gonna fold when Dana bought that that company, and then he, he made a bold move. The Ultimate Fighter, the finale. Forrest Griffin's a, a really cool personality. Stefan Stefan Bonner. These these two awesome personalities punching each other in the face. Then all of a sudden, then comes Ronda Rousey, right? Who. You know, Dana said there wouldn't, there will never be women in, in the UFC. <laughs> and his most popular fighter at the time was was Ronda Rousey. And then comes Conor McGregor, and then they really took off. So, so you're right, there are personalities. And, I, I mean, yeah, you're right. As they, there has to be a way to say, I want, you know, for the casual fan who who knows the sport, or or maybe people don't don't play the sport at all, to be like, hey, I want to know more, or I want to see more.
1: And and you know, I I. Obviously, you have to do it in a a legal way, but man, those those camps that you're able to run for kids, like I would be put anything I can do to get involved with the local community that already like the sport, but to connect that community with my players, Mm -hmm. um, you know, you're gonna get kids a lot more interested for our sport going to these matches. You know, imagine if they got to learn how to serve or pass from, from the kids, you know, from the players on these programs and whatnot. Uh, you got to obviously stay within the NCAA guidelines. But, but you know, if, if I was going to start a D3 program or if I was going to take a job in the area, the, the more that I can get involved in the juniors community, but, but like give my players personalities with them. Um, the more opportunities you do that where you're coming to them, and then you hand out schedules and tickets or you know there's so many things that we could be more creative with um you know eventually i know we're probably going to start talking about the current situation and uh what we're doing um we've had 10 months to really look at okay things are not going to be the way they've been um in the past and this is our opportunity to to adapt and i've been very underwhelmed i i I understand that that youth sports did not become a 19 billion dollar industry um by by focusing on what's best for the athletes it's just the reality of it's it been about travel it's been about uh these convention centers it's been about the, the the money that comes with that and it's i i understand that that the goal is to maintain as much of that as possible. There was a study in December of 2019 that said that youth sports by 2026 was projected to be a $77 billion sport or industry. That's not by making it healthier or, or um, you know, more, more about the athlete. It's about travel and all that. And I just think that we have to start being realistic and say, okay, this is the way. Is it really about the kids' mental health? Is it really about participation? And if so, maybe we need to to let go of what has been and say, okay, what are the the, the what's the hand we've been dealt today and how are we going to play it that's the you know, as sustainable financially as possible while also providing a, a good experience for the kids. And and I I I'm not trying to be judgmental this is my observation. We have fallen short.
0: Yeah. Well, we have to raise these questions because it can't stay the same. It's, it's it's two things that are going to happen. It's going to stay the same or it's going to get worse. <laughs> All right? It's truly theater of the absurd. It, it is textbook theater of the absurd where you have this circular action where the beginning of, the, of an act and the end of an act, you're right back where you started from with a slightly worsening condition. <laughs> this, this is the volleyball is absurdism. It is. I mean, I'm just going to. Get off this podcast and read Waiting for Godot, okay? Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's one of my favorite. Um, Beckett's one. That's one of my favorite Beckett plays. Endgame um, too. I mean, I don't know what the hell. Made me even get in the theater. But before <laughs> before we we um, we get into our drum roll topic, I wanted to share a, a cool story as far as like moving the volleyball needle is concerned. I'm um, calling the Big West Championship with Dodd, Hav, you know, Muretter, of course, Rob Besparo, the, the the Fab Five, right? And Stokeless comes up, you know, and, uh, and I wanted a picture with him because, you know, because that's, dude, that's Rolo Vincent, right? So, and, and, an great and even though I wasn't a huge, avid follower of him, and I'm not, and as a New Yorker, I'm not running to take pictures with someone to me, just shaking their hand, looking them in the eye is good enough, but... For no reason at all, I wanted a picture with him and Sinjin, who was who there was. If you appreciate the, sto- yeah. the history of the mm-hmm. sport, yep.
1: you don't have to be a fan of him nah, to just, recognize his. Hell role. yeah. Like, I didn't I mean, even want
0: to. Like, I saw Anderson Silva the other day and I didn't want a picture. I just wanted to shake his hand because to me, it's just about what I think and not what everybody else thinks. You know, but so he comes up to me, he's like, he's like So how much are they paying you? <laughs> and I looked at him. And I used the N word. I said, Nick, I said, Nick, I said, I don't talk about money <laughs> with you. What, do you what? How much are they paying me? we going to go somewhere with that. So, Because I knew why he was asking me that. He was, um, was one of the people that was on the original team of the five broadcasters calling the matches, and they went with me and not with him. So he was asking me that because he wanted to know if – they went with me because I was I was less money. <laughs> so I was like, you know what? Ain't nobody It's just you and me. This is what they paying me. And then he, he looks me in the eye and he shakes my hand and says, you're the man and walks away. <laughs> And I thought that was a cool story. That's a because, cool story, absolutely. Yeah, because, no, but when he first asked me it, I'm like, man, you better get out of here. <laughs> How much do you make? <laughs> He's got you, some know? stones. Yeah, you got some, right? He's got some uh, gonads. Um, <laughs> but that was a cool story I wanted to share as far as like moving the volleyball needle who and was, who was interesting. And I'm not saying I'm more interesting than Randy Stokeless. He's the most interesting man in the history of volleyball. I was just trying to make an example of... Um, star power transcending generations and star power versus who can do the job the best right here, right now, right? Out of that five-person team between Dodd or whatever, who's the biggest star? Mike Dodd, right? But who's the best commentator and play-by-play guy? Probably Rob, you know? Oh, and i'm only really saying and i'm only saying that because i don't feel like tooting my own horn today come on it's me it's <laughs> dude it's me it's don't Brian, get to the top without a little ego me. john
1: McEnroe used to no, talk but, about
0: it no but speaking out of myself and 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 to like forget who you are forget you know what you did 20 years ago can you can you do the effing job right here can you do it yes or no? and and that's that's so important to what we were discussing um Man, we're deep into it, but I um I wanted to bring this topic up because I brought it up the last five episodes, and I just wanted different inputs and different in, uh, t- takes, um, and it's basically transgender in sports. All right, I talked to Bree Scarborough about, oh, right. Br- well, about it. I talked to I talked to Bree I talked to Bree Scarborough about it. I talked to Rob Sparrow about it. I talked to um. Wendy Jones, who's who's America's power mom. She has a son at Stanford and has a daughter at TCU and has another girl who's who's killing who's gonna who's gonna play college volleyball as well. So, she's um the founder of the Optimist Journal. She's also a savage player beach player herself. But for me. I wanted to talk to people who were specialists in the group, in, in the field of, of, you know, transgender operations and surgeries and, and, and also the mental, the state of mind. Like some people are, are just um, maybe more transvestite than transgender, right, they, as far as plumbing is concerned and this and that. So, I mean, people are going to have to forgive my terminology, but I'm, I'm just a kid from Brooklyn. But... Because it's volleyball and because it's sports and because sports is our wheelhouse, we have every right to opine on this as much as the people who are on this are the science. But I did cover my bases because the bigger topic for transgender sports, and I'm gonna give you the floor in a minute, transgender sports, the bigger topic is a, a more men participating in women's sports who trans, you know, who, who, who trans, transfer in that respect than women. Who 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 trans to men playing men's sports. So for me to talk more objectively about that, I made sure I, I, I wanted to talk to women about it. Cause the last thing we need to do is be be a room full of guys talking about what's right to protect our women and what's right not right to protect our women and, and, and at the same time not talk to a woman. <laughs> so so um I Right now, I come into the conversation thinking that they shouldn't. But as you know, and I'm very much like you, that my mind is ever-changing because when the facts change, you know, my opinion does. <laughs> so, um, And I, I just wanted your thoughts because I can use volleyball as an example. There's a, um, there's a transgender uh, athlete playing in a um, women's, uh, women's pro league in Brazil right now. Um, that's all, that's and, the
1: only one in volleyball. Yeah, and there's that one that I have witnessed that's actually. Yeah. You know, th- there's a discussion to be had about
0: that. And then there's and mixed, there's mixed martial arts where there were two of them, you know, where. So we're at three. Yeah, they're like. Playing. I mean, a woman, who transcends to a man, and within eight months. Is, is in a woman's 135 pound division, <laughs> just, which, is, just, which is different just than and, which is, different than, the current, I mean, which which is different than the current uh, I mean, what's That's
1: different than the the current guidelines from what I've read. And I'm going to tell you right now, I, What we're going to talk about is what is really important down the road. Please, um, but but I will say that I believe for for high school sports with this new uh, line that there has to be at least one year of a transition. Mm-hmm. And that studies show that typically after that full um, cycle of of whatever you want to call it again, I'm a volleyball coach. Um, that, that studies show that there is a different. It does, this doesn't matter. Let, let's let's back up a step. The the real issue that I've seen that the argument from the articles I've read is is about um, basically injustice in, in competition. Is that is that what we're really debating? Let's take trans- transgender. It's about is this fair or not? Is 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 there equal opportunities for people? Is, is 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 transgender people joining taking away opportunities from high school girls? That that's the argument, right?
0: I think in terms of the way I introduced the argument, yes. Okay. Because we're not talking we're not talking about female, females transing transing, you know, and men's and sports. that's
1: and that's what I've seen online on the side as I've sat and, and been a fly on the wall. Man, they just blow and up on just understand, trainers, dude. um I'm, I'm coming from, I've worked in youth sports uh, for the better part of 16 years. And I consider myself very focused on making sure that every single kid gets the same opportunity. Yep. So these people that are wasting their time, and forgive me, but I'm just gonna say, I feel we're wasting our time talking about this. If that's really the core value of why, um, we feel that, that the, the issue is that this is unfair. Well, I'd like all of you to come to me and let's have a conversation about um, the elite club that takes their 13-year-olds and lines them up on the wall by height and the tallest 10 are on the ones team and gets high-level coaching, regardless of whether they can pick up a ball or not, if they've got two left feet or no thumbs. And the five-three athlete that's a superstar, a hard worker, she's going to be on the eights team and coached by a 17-year-old. I'd like to talk about the fact that we've got a three-hour class that really just talks about how not to get sued, don't touch the kids, don't be alone with the kids, you know, liability, et cetera. And that's all it takes to be a club coach. And the disparity between the opportunities we give kids as young as 11, 12, 13, um, based on their natural ability and how certain kids get certain opportunities for growth and others don't. And we're not even talking about the fact that that we have made this sport as we're now a a billion dollar industry. um, We 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 don't give equal opportunity to all kids. So I'm going to sit here and tell you that that in certain situations, I am sure that there are are some people that are going to make that transition. And by playing female sports, there's going to be an argument to be made that that. You've got someone that genetically is playing at an advantage. I'm sure that's somewhere. But I've been doing this 16 years and it's never happened. But all those other things I talked about, the kids that come to my program that were throwaways from other programs who had coaches that wouldn't answer calls and emails for private lessons because they're not on the national program. If people, if adults that are having these conversations, is it really about youth sports or is it really about an uncomfortability with transgender and and wanting to use youth sports to weaponize the uncomfortability with that? I'm just saying, if it's really about injustice, then I res- I'm not going to say there might not be a case, but we're investing way too much time in the last month in in the area that injustice really isn't an issue as a whole. While it's all around us, um at, at the juniors level and that's I, where my frustration comes in with well, that conversation. Your
0: frustration is a very strong argument in, in terms of juniors' level. Okay, I mean, you, you, um, I gave you three samples, and you're, you're you're counting upwards, and you're probably suggesting the sample size is so small it shouldn't even be. A, it than shouldn't than even be A national, shouldn't even be a national argument. So take your argument right now, multiply it by three, and I give you youth sports. All right, because the, all of the arguments that I was making was in terms of professional sports. I brought the Brazilian player. I brought up Fallon Fox, who's the um, uh, female uh, or the trans. Transgender athlete um, fighting in mixed martial arts—absolutely St- just starching girls. Um, looking variable, though. You look at the record that she has one loss, and I'm like, "Wow, who's the alpha chick? <laughs> who's the alpha chick that decided <laughs> she wasn't gonna lose today?" So, but it's it's it's. To me, I don't see the big argument in youth sports because the sample size is so small. Where like, but that's where the dude, you're not even—it shouldn't world. even be in that argument because to me. Who the hell is gonna have a trans operation before they even they're even fully grown? Who's going who's gonna th- who's there. thinking about sex change when they're not even thinking about sex? Uh, I mean, so uh, um, I'm just telling you as
1: a can like yeah on social media the debates that are being talked about with transgender just it is absolutely and, and I'll tell you the the articles that typically I'm watching there's this one person specifically who has had their books pulled. Mm -hmm. from places like Target because of the transphobic um, ideology behind it. I don't know
0: about phobic, though. I don't think those are the two. I don't think those are the two. I'm not going
1: to plug plug this person's book title. It is transphobic. It's not debatable. No, no, individual. It it, it is absolutely. This person has no background in youth sports, but they did an opinion piece on the Wall Street Journal that, Totally use you sports as the reason that the exact title of the article was um paraphrasing Biden's first day in office is the beginning of the end of girls' sports.
0: Oh, that article that was like so mis- misleading. But people, that I'm was such you, a misleading I'm, article too. But
1: if, People are talking based on that. Yeah. People are arguing based on that. The majority of the conversations I'm seeing on social media, and no disrespect, Jason, if you've been talking strictly on the pro and those specific situations, I never even
0: talked about youth sports when it comes to transgender. But outfits. I'm just
1: telling you, because to me, I'm like, I'm, who the hell
0: even has that? Who who the hell even has an operation before they're 18? Before so they're I'm, even fully grown?
1: <laughs> but it's happening. And the and but but again, the point is is. On social media, the conversation I'm seeing, and I'm seeing some heavy hitters, is Yo, about coaches and trainers, this is 800, going to affect 800, posts, what they're talking about is high school kids, uh, transgender kids going to play women's sports, and then qualifying and knocking someone else out and ruining their college opportunity. And it's just crap. So I, I, I yeah. reiterate, if honestly, if really, there's an argument, if you, if sorry, conser-
0: could, sorry, if yeah. there's an argument, where transgender athletes should be allowed to participate in any sport they want, I think youth sport should be the argument because, as far as uh, hormones and human and human growth, uh, uh, human uh, growth hormone rep- replacement and and uh, or therapy and whatnot, they are literally still growing as childs to teens to adults. So they're not like full adults where their bone structure and their bone densities are already identifies with being a male, where they come into a sport already as an advantage. So I, I I came in a little bit naked on my research. I have some research, but but none of it applies to youth sports. You know well, what I'm saying? And like yeah. you said, um, the science says one year, my science, the, my science, I'm on WebMD and, and, and um, I also talked to some people, they said probably a year and a half. Um, as far as like full transition and as far as um, TRT or as far as HRT is concerned, um, but I will say this: I don't why, some, why somewhere between so no, but time. somewhere between this transphobic idiot you're talking about and and between the other person that's like, oh, I don't see the argument, is this big gray area that if anyone that sees Fallon Fox fight or anyone that sees this this Brazilian player playing a woman's height net. Anyone that sees that happen and just and anyone that says anyone that doesn't think we shouldn't have a conversation about that is not being honest either. I'm not saying but, okay. ban I'm them all, but I'm not saying a... ban them all. I'm just saying I don't think someone should be considered transphobic by saying we should just we should have a conversation. <laughs> Let's have a conversation about that. But, that's not but, OK. That's not transphobic. I'm,
1: I'm not saying everyone that's having the conversation is no. transphobic. What I'm saying is the person of that article was transformed that's the only person i was saying What's but this what i'm saying if people are are genuinely caring about the kids mm-hmm. and people are genuinely caring about opportunities to waste time talking about something that is such a small percentage and i'm not saying when those situations happen that the people involved in that situation shouldn't be making decisions but I'm sitting here watching what's happening in my local community and there are just so many more important things on that subject matter of equal opportunities for kids that, that, you know, if it's really about the kids or if it's really about the participation, I, I take, don't take this the wrong way, Jason. I don't want to waste my time talking about a pro player in Brazil when I've got kids locally that I'm trying to help. I just, it's not worth my time. Yeah. It, and And if it ends up coming to my community, and it's affecting the the dynamic of competition in my area. At that point, I will look at the data I have in front of me, and then I'll make a decision on how I feel about it. At that point, but right now, is this, that has on, literally is, happened is, zero times in my entire coaching
0: No, career. listen, but this is—I—I I mean, honestly, your, your argument is very, very acute. Uh, to to um um not limited to but certainly included to youth sports and how it applies to you and 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 how it applies to your wheelhouse where I will call you the expert <laughs> okay you are an expert at a juniors coach you are you are a professional you are um, respected uh, on on a on a, on, a, on a on a near national scale certainly in your region you know I mean I, I, that, the reason why I even brought it up is because I wanted your perspective and and in your wheelhouse and and what you can speak to and what you know and 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 then we put our heads together and we and we ha- and we have this colorful conversation. Hold on a second. Was this um was this the article? Was it Francesca Fontana? Nope. No Wall Street Journal. No.
1: No. It was. Okay. Uh, All right. it was I, and I don't even want to give it credit because I don't want to give this person a platform ah. because again I, I have no respect <laughs> for someone right. that's going to weaponize people's love for their kids and the kids they coach. Yep. Against people that, you know, it really is a hidden veil about, you know, again, Bi- Biden's first day in office. It isn't about transgender in no. sports. And no. they're using it to push an agenda and they're booked. Um, <laughs> that was so funny. So, it's so like don't it's, even put do you hear don't that put it's like up. oh it's, but it's just <laughs> so so just I just want to make this clear and I apologize. Just just you know, Jason, for if what? you want to talk to me you about my perspective about Brazil and 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 this MMA thing, I don't care just Good. because I'm just telling you I'm in as we speak mm-hmm. right now, Jason, I am in the trenches. I am navigating a pandemic. And, and I appreciate you calling me an expert. The reality is, is I'm treated like an idiot in my community right now, because well, welcome to people, the world of experts, because 15 minutes away. I've got my other place with indoor sand who is allowing people to play without masks, which is against the health code. Brian. I'm just I'm dealing with the fact right now that there are bigger issues than what one pro transgender I'll let Brazil figure that. Brian,
0: out. what level of person is is called an idiot more than anyone? Experts Okay? No one's going to call an idiot an, an idiot, all right? Matt LaFleur uh, uh, deciding to go for a field goal instead of letting Rodgers go for it on fourth and one, which I actually thought was the right call, but, but a lot of people, what did they call him? They called him an idiot, all right? Brian LaFleur is an expert. <laughs> he won right. 13, 13, they were 13 and three, two consecutive years when Rodgers, you know, was there the whole time. And, and I guess that's probably Rodgers' average, but but you are an expert and you will be called an and it won't be and you will be called an idiot but not by me i i i called you on this because you're not going to give me the same opinion as I got from Bree Scarborough, who's an active player in Florida, I called you on this because you're not going to give me the same opinion that Rob Esparo gave me, who's a color commentator who watches, who who who's exclusively men's sports, and 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 maybe maybe uh, uh, um has a different perception of what the shock of, of someone who's you know a guy who just <laughs> just goes to a women, oh my God, this net's cool, man, seven <laughs> four, this net's chill, man, I think I can rock this. Um, <laughs> your opinion's not going to be the same as Wendy Jones, who has two girls playing um a sports. And the whole whole reason why there is women's volleyball in seventh and the net is seven, four and an eighth because so so they can be competitive within their own gender. And so I knew I'm not I I didn't introduce this topic just to have a circle jerk and talk about why we agree, because in fact, this whole podcast, this is the friend. This is the most awesome, friendliest disagreement hour and 40 minutes I, I will ever have in my life because you are a friend. And I wish everybody could have this kind of debate and everybody could have this dialogue where it's not personal. We're passionate. We attacked, for everybody listening, guys, this is how you attack an argument. (laughs) Obey the 10 commandments of logic and you can have a discussion just like this, okay? (laughs) But very, 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 very important topic to many people. And I like that you don't care. I like the general care. Yeah. I am um, listen. I'm 50 years old. All right. I went through this whole um, homophobic thing. I grew up. Um, um, when I say I grew up Christian, there's there's levels of Christian. All right. There's the you know. Oh, there's the Catholic <laughs> people, and there's the 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 Southern gone at last, gone go at last. Yes, my sins they're gone at last. Um, and then there's black churches, assemblies of God. Uh, Pentecostal church people are dancing up and down the aisles flipping and if, if you don't know if you're going to heaven or hell you go in the hell that's the church I grew up in so I had to deal with um, homophobic um, behavior on my part that generated from nothing just by what I heard Your experiences just by what I heard no experience
1: mentorship no but Absolutely. no experience
0: with with people who are gay just what I'm supposed to No, believe. but the
1: experiences with the people that tell you yeah. their perception of it Yeah. And those are people that as a child or young you you respect. Mm -hmm. So when they say it, why would you question it at the time? Because you don't know any different.
0: And it's and honestly, if you're raised a certain way, it's confusing. I'm like, and I'm just mad at everybody. I'm like, damn, y'all spend the whole 80s and early 90s trying to show people it's not a big deal. And then when people say, Okay, we agree it's not a big deal, now you coming back at me and saying, No, 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 you're supposed to care. I'm like, wait. Are you supposed to say i shouldn't care or are you supposed to say i shouldn't care which is it so so it's one of those things where um i don't consider bad behavior experience i don't consider fair experience i consider experience experience and the difference between this asshole that that wrote the article and the and the difference between people who are opining on this with well, lack of understanding is coming to these conversations with an open mi- uh, mind your your mind can change. You can be enlightened. You can learn something you haven't, or you can be set in your ways because you're sure you're right. And maybe you are. Or maybe you aren't. But bigotry, bigotry is is being set in your ways and being unflinching based on whatever. It's protected. It's protected ignorance. Bigotry is stupidity. I mean, I mean, they should have the same meaning in the dictionary. To be totally honest, I mean, uh, it goes beyond racism because you're just set in a certain way and. I wanted to use the example I had because like, look at me now. Do you like to, I mean, anyone that's ever talked to me, do you think I give a shit if you're gay or not? (laughs) You know, You, you know, and, and, like all of my friends who are homophobic get over yourselves like a lot of my friends who are homophobic they're they're like just cuz the person's gay that they they might like them i'm like no nobody wants your raggedy ass <laughs> look at that gay dude he, he, he's he got muscles in places i don't even have places he's not interested in you just cuz you just cuz he's just cuz you're a guy so so there's so many colors that go to it but to me i i concluded one way you should care in a positive way Oh, you shouldn't just, you shouldn't care at all. Just let everybody do whatever they want to do. Everybody else, leave everybody else alone.
1: And just know, like my, my passion about this, it's real simple. Yeah. For those people that are watching this and you've been following this whole transgender thing and it, it matters to you because they're playing to your concern about equal opportunity. Come talk to me yeah because if you're really upset about what you're hearing in these extreme cases boy are you going to be interested to hear about what's actually happening in youth sports yeah. and i just feel like it's such an easy you know people can read that article and then it's just an easy thing to just hop on board with yeah this isn't fair it's not fair well if, you, if you're gonna put your name on it and, and spend time talking about it I, I, there there's in real time in our communities right now things that are far more damaging to young girls in my opinion that are far beyond that and frankly way easier to address yeah as long as we as a community are willing to recognize it and say can we do better and and man as
0: far as some of these past articles i read about coaches that can't keep their hands to themselves too man the only thing i got to say about that is don't don't get me started you know i have a four-year-old i mean like some of the things i was listening to jason olive a few months ago talk about like expose some of these coaches who have a pattern of 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 that, the other, the uh, the bigger problem, mm-hmm. as far as li- list of bigger problems, this this is on our this is on our probably on our radar. I'm like my girl, my kid's never playing volleyball. <laughs> she, I got a four year old man. I'm gonna go to jail. <laughs> but but I'm, I mean, that's that's an, a serious one too. But but
1: still, I mean, I'm not saying it. No, but happens as far as quantitatively, believing. but that's, but, I'm, but I'm talking about the amount of kids right. that when they are a certain physical attribute or they are put on a lower level team, mm-hmm. the opportunities for growth or development they're given. Yep. I mean, we see it club to club, right? Where where if you're on the ones team, don't tell me that the kid on the threes or fours team is getting the exact same opportunity for growth, right? And, and you have to be able to earn it and I'm all for competition, but there are absolutely some of the most talented elite clubs in our area again there's one specifically that that lines the kids up at 13 by height and that is how they choose their teams and the difference between the top coach and the bottom coach I mean that to me is the injustice that I want to talk about that's that to me is something that's more accurate and frankly should be addressed as a society so I I get that's where my frustration comes in when I'm watching people talk about we're just talking about crap like it it. I, I get from a just it's fun philosophically to talk about what's happening with the Brazil pros I understand that you know with the MMA there's a place and time for that conversation but the people that are talking about it with the 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 rallying cry of of not losing opportunities for girls, allowing girls to not lose their spot to someone that does this. That passion, oh, there's a much better place high. to put it that's, right now. Yep. But no one's yeah. doing it.
0: I agree. No, No. The actually exactly the way you put it and and that and your argument is valid. And it and it's what you you said that's crap, right? Yeah. No, mm-hmm. it's crap. Nobody's nobody's coming for your girls' spot. You know, my, my I came into the argument saying that it's disingenuous to saying you sh- it's not a conversation. Uh, but that, but my, mine was more in a general level. You're you speak again, and I'm saying this the third time for people to hammer, hammer through people's thick, happy heads. You're speaking acutely to 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 what to what's in your wheelhouse, and that's yeah, you. we were having conversations you
1: about specific situations where yeah. it was happening. Yeah, that's that's there's a discussion to be had for that, yeah. right? Um, I'm just saying, I uh, the last week I've seen multiple conversations about this. Um, Where one of them with a very fry. prominent <laughs> former AVP player coach with hundreds of, response, of comments from other affluent people in our community yeah. talking about it. And it has been on the premise of you, like how this is going to kill girls' sports. And I respectfully disagree with that. And and again, for the people that are arguing about um, the, the opportunities, I just think it, it is... I'm curious on why this is going to ring their alarms when we can see things happening right now and we're we're staying quiet about it.
0: Agreed. I think to support your argument, nobody's having a transgender operation to be a better competitor in sports. I mean, if you think about someone's intention in this and that, there's, you know, it is, it's a discussion, but like you said, in, in in a world where we got bigger fish to fry, <laughs> you know why how, why how why does un- why does it garner garner this mag this heightened magnitude of attention? Yeah, you know? and,
1: and let me let's make something clear. It is not a glory. It's much like like you know coming out. It's a lot of people don't do that originally because it's it's not like they're going to get a warm welcome. You know, I had a college coach that I was talking with about this, and she had concerns about like so our our. You know, our guy's going to transition and then try and get a free scholarship. And I said a couple things. If someone is literally only changing their sex to get a competitive advantage in sports, which in my opinion happened zero times—that's my opinion, right? If it's just about that, right? I mean, As a, I, I, I like your friend, numbers. <laughs> my my friend is is the the you know she's the, they're a division two coach. I said, let me ask you if one of these people came and and wanted to be recruited by you. Given on what you said, do you think that that a program's going to to try and and take advantage of this, or are they worried about how that's going to impact the culture? Again, if it's really about someone that just made the change, because they they wanted a competitive advantage Do you when, think, when that situation happens in college sports jason you make me the first guest and we'll have a conversation but
0: do you think it. there's a gateway phobia or a gateway fear to this like if trans if they allow transgender um athletes to play uh, male athletes to play female sports what's the just stop people who are not transgender playing female sports
1: uh, i just again when the with that time comes then we can have that conversation it's just not I, I i try to invest my time and energy in conversation where real change needs to and can occur
0: and you but you're talking more on a on a mask like again you're yeah, talking on a, a macro on a level. quantitative yeah I mean, but you're talking more on a quantitative level this this the only reason why i brought it up is because to me honestly at the end of the day, it's much ado about nothing. And at the same time, um, it can't not be a conversation when you I watch mean, I, I, when but, you watch but, someone compete in an I, MMA match I, um, eight months out of their operation and, and just bone density, you know, basically still still a guy and like broken faces, broken jaws, just whatever. How's that different for female athletes? Significantly different. And and again, it's it's I'm not saying that person should be banned. I'm just saying to, to when it's not a conversation no for for me
1: but, as a sports volleyball way.
0: coach mm-hmm. no yeah <laughs> like like there there's a
1: conversation right um but frankly i don't think anyone should care what i think about an mma fight and the the it's not my that's not my lane yeah. I'm, I'm involved with youth sports the only reason i'm even interested in the conversation it is just, because of how up. i've seen mm-hmm. this subject matter and how people are are sculpting it for my industry Right. And I think it's being done in a very we say have it. to be very careful on who we validate when, when they have an opinion piece on Wall Street Journal, we have to be very careful on validating that opinion just because they 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 have a platform to give it. Right. And that's you know, again, anything I say, don't believe me, look it up. If people disagree but they're not sure, say, so, you know, look at your sources. Don't, don't just take my word for it. No. I think we've done that a lot the last four years mm. where we read something and it strikes us emotionally. And then we, we let our, our, you know, insecurities about it or our, our, our passion about it or our emotion about it. Um, I've seen very intelligent people post articles that within two minutes of researching, you're like, this is not uh, uh, this source is not credible. Um, and, but if it, it caters to what someone feels at the moment, they, they share it and, and express it. And I just think all of us can do a little bit better job moving forward on speaking to understand and staying in our lanes. Um, again, there's, there's a conversation to be had. Uh, there, there's, that was never necessarily my attempt. My point is, is I'm a busy man. I, I come on here because yeah. I think you and I talk about things that do really matter in well, what you and I do on a day to day. Your, your argument's totally
0: different because youth sports is not fan generated, right? Why should fans care about this? Why should fans care about that? Because what fans care about is important because fans uh, eventually keep keep uh, these professional sports afloat. Uh, we we just had this long, lurid, discu- uh, almost pa- lurid discussion about about, about men's volleyball or, or college volleyball and putting butts in seats. So so caring about what someone thinks. Is more important from again not from your wheelhouse, you know what I'm saying? So it is. It I mean, are there bigger problems to have? But but if if fans are talking about it, then um, and maybe they should, maybe they shouldn't. It's not, it's not not a conversation, Brian. You know? No, it
1: is. It is. I'm mm-hmm. just I'm not an MMA guy, and no. I don't really follow the Brazilian pro leagues anymore. Of course anymore. not. Um,
0: I'm, but at the same time, I'm not talking to the wrong guy about this. I'm talking to someone who has a, a different perspective about it, which which but, which again just eye-opening I'm coming out of this podcast different I came in with with an opinion because because you're Guys out there, you're a liar if you don't come into a, you. You're saying you come into a conversation unbiased and open. That's always a little bit of bias. You're you, not right. We're not, right? We're not machines. Answer. We're people. But I'm leaving this conversation with a different opinion because I had this conversation and, with you. And oh, here's the
1: boring answer I'll give you to your. I'll give you what you want. Here's my answer. I right? want no boring so you answer. you got you got the MMA. You got the MMA situation. You want my take on it? Nope. I am sure there are are journals, mm-hmm. scientific journals, that talk about on one side why. Mm-hmm. There shouldn't be transgender athletes playing for uh, doing MMA for females. There are probably ones that say why they're able to, and what you know what that person has to do, mm-hmm. um, you know, with with whatever it is. With I don't understand the science of how that works, right? What I know is there are certain parameters that they say you have to, to do these type of hormone therapies for this amount of time, right? And I trust that the people in power for MMA will look at that data and make the decision that makes the most sense based on that data.
0: 100%. That's my
1: answer. I, I yeah. It's not something that I feel my opinion without that information and without being honest, it's not worth my time to Does educate this? myself on all those things. Because right. it's
0: but not pursue, for, now for listen, a fan that wants listen, to talk about it, yeah.
1: I would say that as long as they're doing that research yeah. and they're making their arguments based on that, mm-hmm. There's a conversation here. No, had. but we're definitely, I just don't I just haven't done no, my No, but I love
0: I you. I love your opinion on, on on MMA and it's it I value it and I actually share your opinion. I co-sign on your opinion. Uh before we jump off this horse, educate <laughs> me and how Title 9 does this does Title 9 uh, um have a correlation or a logical connection to to this to this popular and unpopular conversation
1: about transgender athletes in youth sports? Yeah. I, I I can't answer that right now. I mean right. again it's it's the the numbers of people that are actually experiencing this is, I'm not saying there aren't cases, right? right. But but
0: it's I don't it's think like we're gonna 0. see a 000, wave of guys 000, that are 000, like yeah.
1: charge, let's go beat up on women on the court. Like I just it, and I think if it was ever that extreme that that people that people like me will address it at that point, you mm. know? But well, it's just not happening. Well, so listen. I just...
0: The reason why it's small to you is because the person has not won, Who's a transgender athlete playing female sports hasn't won national player of the year yet. <laughs> right. I mean, I mean, if you think, if you think right. this is this is like, if you think, uh, look, I'm with you. Uh, as far as youth sports is concerned, it's much ado about nothing. But as far as crossing that bridge when we get there. If you think people are blowing this up unnecessarily now, wait till somebody wins conference player of the year or national player of the year or like a, a state or a national high school title or 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 you know professional, I mean like you said, different different wheelhouse. Whew, man. So so if so if that gets you that fired up. huh. Me? No. Why is
1: it I'm just saying whoever. Yeah. Whoever's wanting to talk about this because mm-hmm. of that concern why are we not talking about the concerns that are actually occurring in real time today? That's what I don't understand. Is it just because it's fun to talk about or do we actually want change? I'm here to talk about like, how do we actually fix this? And I'm trying to do it myself. Like, yeah. and I'm looking for people, other coaches and other administrators that share that same passion that actually want to do something about it in real time. It would, it, when, when but you, you start manage, seeing these manage, transgender but manage, athletes, but you, at first,
0: yeah, sorry, but as far as human behavior is concerned, you stumbled onto something bigger than transgender athletes and why people behave or why people are so emo- emotionally invested in something where someone's someone's blood is boiling over it. Okay, we come on, we re- let's talk about the other elephant in the room. We we were in a, a ferocious, hotly contested uh, two, thousand twenty election, right? We have people on the left and on the right. Our friends, Ivy League ed- educated people, intelligent people, that get angry blood boiling i mean uh ready to throw hands over someone they never met in their life okay someone I um, maybe i use trump as an example why are, why are you why are you ready to fight me over trump why are you ready, why are you ready to get your ass kicked by me over 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 donald trump the guy who wouldn't piss on you if you caught fire why are you mad at me if i said biden's approaching november on dementia on a dementia drumstick um the the answer which isn't an answer it's not like a real answer to your to what your your question is as, as far as why we care why do we even care it's human nature to get our blood boiling over things that we don't have any control over anyway
1: well you know, and, it's, and, it's crazy and boy, you were, it's you
0: insane
1: know. well the, and that's something that i think 20 30 years from now we're going to look back and recognize um we've got a challenge with this internet because um, you know, again, there's a bipartisan report, 900 plus pages, Fiona Hill on the record. So that means perjury if she was lying. Point blank said that bipartisan report said that there are Russian bots that are putting comments on social media to cause discord in our society. And I've seen plenty of the worst things I've ever seen written. And you think, and you, if you take a step back, you say, how could someone actually say that? And then I go on the profile and I look at the profile. I'm like, this isn't real.
0: That's not a real person.
1: But the problem is, is a lot of people see that comment don't have any idea whether that's a real they see the comment and they think there is a, a group of people that actually feel this way
0: well and yeah that's, that's how but that's how fake people recruit real people
1: correct and th- and that's that's the answer to, to how we've gotten at this point so and i'm not again i don't necessarily agree. i understand it and i'm just yeah. saying for the since since i'm being given this platform and we're talking about a subject matter where people you know, again, I'm talking specifically to the people that have right. gotten involved in the transgender community, and talking about opportunities for young girls. Those are the people that I'm, I'm, I'm going to continue to say this to. If you're really upset about it, there are bigger fish to fry right now, and you can do it right now. But that's where the conversation should be. That's my opinion. Um, that's and listen, I'll I'll die on that, that is, hill. Just I'm I'm only going by my experiences. That when, is. Transgender awesome. athletes and female sports becomes something that I need to think about for my kids, I will have that conversation. Right. Um, I just, there are so many things with this pandemic and, and certain states having certain rules versus other states. And even in certain states, you know, when some people skirt the rules and then you've got parents and players that are trying to, to cater to what they feel is safest for their kids, while balancing that with well if these kids are doing it and I don't put my kids in that then they're missing out there are so many things right now that are so much more important and and uh, forgive me Jason it's just it's in my heart right now because I'm watching kids suffer that that we could do a better job if it's really about the kids I'm tired of seeing if they're citing these, that as a
0: pretext yeah
1: I'm I'm tired of seeing everyone say let them play you know you know th- this is so bad for their mental health and you know all i see from the governing bodies is okay if we can open in january this is our power league schedule if we could open in february this is our power league schedule we're doing all these things to figure out how to do things the way that we've done it in the past but in real time kids are are not getting the proper we could do better with the new norm than we are and that that's where my heart's at and that that's what i that, that that's what i I'm interested in talking about with people because I think it's more relevant and more impactful.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, And and at the end of the day, all I care about is, is, you know, yeah, we got 11 to 18 year old kids. Ninety four percent of them are not going to play college sports, but they do play sports. So what are we going to do to provide them a safe and fun experience to make it as normal as possible Mm -hmm. so that until we get to our new norm, you know, we don't have these mental health issues. We don't have these kids committing suicide or falling into deeper depression than they have to. Um,
0: last time I, I, we talked, how was it going? <laughs> I
1: That's mean, a loaded with, question. I mean, I we're, mean we're, you were, we're good, last I'm time we talked.
0: Most. You you were on national TV, and the kids were playing, and the coaches had masks, and you you were in constant dialogue with the Department of Health. Thank God that that they have someone as bright as you talking to them because. To, to Department of Health, they think of volleyball, they just think of indoor and like as jam, you know, sixes, 12 people, and then you kind of educate them, hey, this is doubles, hey, this is in the warehouse, hey, there's open doors, and hey, there's this and that. And then when they become more educa- educated on situations, they become um, more, not lenient, but they become more understanding of what, what type of sport should be allowed in what capacity. So since that conversation um, has Chicago gotten worse where you had where there are just more restrictions? I understand you were doing like a one on one thing instead of like a doubles so, thing. What's going on?
1: So so last time we talked was late August. Um, I'll, I'll go chronologically. I'll try not to be too long, but to kind of go into detail. Um, I had worked with the mayor. Um, they They as of mid August required. Um, masks for participation if you were indoors, including for us, right? And I will tell you that that there's a guy, Doc Ricky, who's a virologist. He's on Facebook. He's in a lot Love of conversations. Him. He's S O B man. I
0: met him. S O B.
1: Awesome. Really appreciate our conversations. I mean, that that's a guy that that there's not many people that sometimes he'll write something and I'm like, he's an encyclopedia, Makes sense, but I can't understand it because it's so much above. I spent eight days
0: with that guy. We were south of the border vacations. He's go ahead. Sorry.
1: So come March, April, you know, he and I are talking a lot and, and he's lobbying to me about how he would like to see like the April Rosses, you know, the, the main players play in a mask. Now in June, my kids were able to play without masks, but I was masked as a coach, right? And I could tell you demoing a drill for 30 seconds, I'm like winded. I can't breathe, right? So, so I'm me telling neither. Doc, I'm like, I understand the science behind it, but you are out of your mind if you think that people are going to play in masks. And then August hits, and and with the data they're figuring out about, um, you know, it being airborne and the aerosols, um, they, they require all indoor sports to require masks. Um, at the time, I was told that the municipality would be the one enforcing the rules. Um, so I worked, I, I contacted the mayor, I explained... You know, even there's, there's phase three was 10 or less in a group. Phase four was 50. We moved to phase four, but I kept all my programming phase three. I said, we're not putting more than four to six kids on a court. We spread everyone out. I've got sanitizer on every single table. We swap out every single table, chair, volleyball between groups. We put 15 minutes between groups. We do everything and we've not had a single positive case. And he and I originally, um, we created a waiver that our parents and players could fill out that says we understand what the, uh, the health department's guidelines are, and and we will wear the mask, and then when we get off the court, we recognize the risk, and we will take the mask off. And the mayor agreed to that. About two weeks in, we had an anonymous health complaint filed on us. Now, all I will tell you is there's three businesses in the Bay, and for most of the time, they have people that come in have no idea that we're all separate. But whoever anonymously came complained didn't come to me and ask why my kids weren't wearing masks. Um, but they just did. So, <laughs> you know, I talked to the health department for a while. I, I You know, what, what became apparent is the Chamber of Economic Opportunity and Commerce. They're the only ones that can make exemptions and they're making no exemptions. So we started wearing masks. And I'll tell you, the first couple of weeks of practice, it, we had to kind of back up. We had to just light fundamentals, more water breaks. You know, we had to ease our kids in. And shockingly to me and to Doc's point, within two months, our kids are battling for two hours. Um, and the coaches, we were competing, right? The first practice, we went like an hour and just like pass that hit, light drills, no no long volleys. Within two months, right now, Jason, I'm not even in good shape, but I can play last night. I played uh, from eight to 1030. We do a king of the beach with eight guys. I played for two and a half hours with a mask. Uh, over my nose the right way, Yep. and and I'm Otherwise, what's the
0: point? (laughs) Build a tolerance. It's crazy. Otherwise, what's the point, right? (laughs) Now,
1: now, um, for people that sometimes if the mask is a little tighter, when you try and breathe, it inhales, and that's a very uncomfortable feeling. It's the same feeling I felt when I told Doc he was crazy. We found these 3D-printed mask inserts that we've been able to give. We've given over 50 of them away to our renters, Uh and even the people that hate the mask... I'm not going to tell you that it's like, oh, I'm not wearing one, but it's it's tolerable, right? Yeah. Um. So so we were masked from August to November. Uh. The one concern I expressed when they uh, put those guidelines on us and said there were no exceptions, I said, there's only one other game in town for indoor sand, and if you allow them, if you don't police this, I'm going to lose all my adult renters. Um, oh, jeez. And long story short, that is what come, has come to fruition. Uh, the health department is responsible for the entire state. We got six million people in Chicago. It's far bigger than fish, um, and unfortunately, they haven't been able to really do anything to change that. And and I've had parents and players and and renters that have told me, "Hey, if you're willing to skirt the rules, um, we won't tell anyone." But the bottom line is, I know someone was watching me, right? And on top of that, you know, something that really is the toughest part for me to wrap my head around with. You know, I think there's a lot of this unwritten thing with both adults and juniors right now in my area. It's like, you know, everyone just kind of hush, hush, you know, a little nod and a wink, the health department's kind of leaving it be. But what are we teaching our kids that understand what they're supposed to be doing? And yet, you know, hey, would you come in the gym? We're gonna, we're gonna, you know, have these secret scrimmages from one club versus the other club. We're going to, um, you know, have more people in the gym than we're supposed to have what are we teaching this next generation? It, it, I understand that we don't have a lot of aid. I understand there are places where you've got leases for these big buildings based on the fact that you can run tournaments and that's been taken away. I understand financially needing to, to you know, if, if the aid isn't there, maybe you can't survive without changing things a little bit. But when I hear some of the things parents tell me, about what their clubs are doing. You know, it's one thing if you're going to play because you need to play, but you're not spacing kids six feet apart. You're not separating groups so that when they walk in or out, they're different. You're not maintaining um, sanitation properly. The people that are most upset about the restrictions are the ones whose behavior I see requiring them to continue. Yeah. And my health, our health department has been very straightforward, on what's required to, to keep things safe. And once the numbers get better, what it'll take to allow us to play. And I have watched the people who who have the power to enforce these rules on the parents and players that would allow us to hopefully curb, you know, and it's not just volleyball, it's it's all industries in our area. It, it's our country is very divided on the concept of mass and social distancing right now. It became politicized
0: I and it's made for right. a
1: very complicated situation. I so. think
0: the most interesting, interesting thing you said to me, at least, cause everything, everything, everything you said is it's, it's script worthy, right? I could write that in the script and someone would be like, um, yeah, let's do it. Let's make a movie. But <laughs> the most interesting thing you said is the, the same people who have a problem with the guidelines are the people who, you know, who's breaking of the rules and doing it their way are, are, are probably the reason why, you know, we're still in the middle of a pandemic in the first place. It's so intrig- ironic and intriguing. And once again, I'm going back to uh, our friends type thing. Our friends, intelligent friends, educated people are, 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 are behaving like this. I said on this podcast a few months ago, I don't know if it was it was a second this our second go around, two very, very important things to you. One, wearing a mask helps prevent you from giving it to someone as opposed to protecting it, provide some protection. But the, the main reason you wear a mask, because I didn't know that back then, is you want to protect yourself from giving it to someone. And that's where the prevention comes from, that a lot of people who just who just shut their ears, they don't want to hear anything, they get educated on it and it's like, oh, okay, I get it, I get it, I get it. So that's a reality, that's one of the realities. Um, the second reality, and this is the cold hard reality that I told you, is that nobody this is if this is going to go around. The reality is, people are not going to stay behind their doors until this thing goes away. That we as human beings are not going, are not going to allow that to happen because that psychological thing that people use as an irrationalization, even though they're not educated on it, is 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 also a reality. So when you get to the reality of wearing a mask is safe, and you have the reality, like we're not going to stay behind hide behind our door until it goes away because it it could be a year, it could be it could be 18 months or whatever. So the meeting in the middle is, if I want to play sports, if I want to coach volleyball, is, is there a safe way to do it? So Because we're Americans, man. We're the most industrialized nation in the world. It's not about can't this, can't that. It's, it's can. Let's, let's say can and then figure out the how.
1: Now, so, with that so being said,
0: talk. you figured out the how. So, so let's talk about
1: the fun part and and yeah. something that's recent. And I hope people steal this from me. And if you want help with your program, let's talk about it. Okay. Trying to get so John so Mayer, prior man. to the pandemic, we mm-hmm. had always gone month to month, right? I, I, I wanted for doubles uh, people to be able to sign up. You know, if they play other sports, they can play other sports. Maybe one month they go two to three times a week. Maybe the next month their schedule doesn't allow, they go twice a month. I wanted my number one goal with my program has been to give every single kid the same opportunity for growth and development. Not that they're all going to, uh, but but that no kid because they start further behind than their peers gets a different education. Um, The second thing I wanted to do for families was flexibility because I just think it's challenging. I understand why, but but for you know for indoor, if you don't play, if you want to be competitive like there's no alternative to like you have to play seven months of club basically on top of your high school season there's there's just not a happy medium of okay i want good education but i don't want that that big commitment yeah some clubs have half seasons you know but a lot of times you know the parents take as well a lot of those kids aren't the same level i want to play with the top kids so i got to do the national or the elite whatever they want to call it so my challenge as the pandemic hit was I was very flexible. You know, we we made sure that it was all small groups. We didn't have random kids on one day play with random kids on another day. Everything, you know, you pick your group and that group trained together and that was your group. So that, hypothetically, if a case ever happened, our contact tracing was very straightforward and simple. Because uh, the other elephant in the room is most people organizations are not contact tracing the way they're supposed to. They just kind of slip it under the the the, the rug. Um, so you know we were all the clubs and high schools in september um something really weird happened normally when high school starts in the fall kids are not allowed to train with their club during season if they play for their high school right, right. when COVID hit high school ended up going to the spring it's supposed to try tryouts are supposed to happen in a matter of weeks um so now clubs like okay we're gonna jump in so club started their tryouts they kind of flip-flopped and then the ihsa went to the state department separately from club and said hey you know we're not doing our season but we'd love to do practice dates it'd be good for us to get in the gym with kids and they got approved so what we saw happen this fall was instead of kids only playing high school kids are now playing for their club's and their high schools, even if it's not a travel date at the exact same time, we we in our industry is undeniable. Our kids were, were spreading to more kids than they would have if we just left it as is. That's how messy it's been. Um, on top of that, you know, these high schools with their contact dates, they weren't giving kids straightforward schedules because they're juggling all the sports in their gym space. So I had all these 15 to 18-year-old kids scheduled for September. Boom, all of a sudden, you know, we appreciate how much more flexible you are than all these or the other organizations. But we're going to gonna thank you for being flexible for us. We've got to cancel that because if we don't do our high school contact dates, we're going to get cut. We signed up for club. We have to be there. And I respect that. So I, I talked to my business partner and, and kind of did some, some reflection. So we created kind of almost a subscription service. So I've got a three-tier program, tier one, tier two, tier three. And all of them, I I originally called it bronze, silver, gold. I changed it because there's not a package that's weaker or stronger. Um, It's $500, $1,000, $2,000. If you want to pay per month because that's steep, you know, for the $500, you could do six months for $100 each. So it's a little extra, but it allows you, if you're financially not able to put that up front, that you can still do it. You choose your own practices. Um, the more you spend up front, so if you're that tier three for $2,000, it's a certain price. It's $5 more if it's the silver or the tier two. It's $5 more if it's the tier one. So the idea is the more you pay up front, the cheaper each lesson is. But it, it gives us a little skin in the game so that parents will commit. If they're going to commit, that they commit. Um, it, it allows the parents still the flexibility to choose their own schedules. Again, our competitive kids are going two, three days a week other kids we might see once or twice a month um and and it's been really good we still can do this based on you know one person lessons pairing lessons or four to six person groups right that are predetermined and the nice thing is is we have not had a single case but there was one time where we had one parent contact me that that after practice i think it was 72 hours their daughters tested positive Mm. so i went to the health department to ask and what they concluded was that with the information I gave them, A, it had been long enough where that they didn't feel it was a risk, that we had to report it, even though I did tell all my parents because I thought that was important. But more importantly, if it had been in that timeframe, given the nature of our practices, everyone would have been low risk because everyone is wearing their masks. Right. Because I can look them in the eye and not have to lie and say, my kids do not spend more than 15 minutes, six feet or closer together during that duration. Um, it's been really good. All the things I kind of talked about, understand I am in a very good place with my families. Um, We're better off than a lot of people. I am working with the state to look at beach volleyball as a low risk sport versus being lumped in with uh, indoor volleyball as a medium risk sport. And I'm starting to get a little traction with that. Um, We have adapted and I look forward to when I can mix kids a little bit more. Um, we're going to do some queen of the beaches and some eight person groups on both courts some days to give them those playing opportunities. We will record those for my kids that are competitive so they can get the film they need to send to colleges. We have found a way to give these kids a fun and healthy, safe volleyball experience, um, you know, while, while not having to compromise any of the recommendations by the health department. Sometimes I have to remind the kids to sanitize as soon as they get off the court because they want to grab their phones or their bottles. Sometimes I have to remind the kids when they get excited to spread out. But, but we do it, and the kids have been great. And we've not had a single positive case since we reopened in June. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky that that's also a testament to the behavior of those, um, you know, because I can't control what people do outside. Yeah. But I, I and, appreciate and, and
0: luck is the res- residue of design.
1: <laughs> yeah i always say if if luck is when preparation meets opportunity you got to do your half of the deal that's one Absolutely. of my few original quotes but well, my and favorite have,
0: my favorite luck is the residue of design meaning you design stuff then good things trickle yeah. in sorry the, the harder i
1: work the luckier i get we can you know they all they all match it's the <laughs> same concept so you know now i know my parents have some of my parents have sent me articles um that are very opposite of of what the health department says i'm going to leave it at that That's okay because when they walk in the door, as long as they respect our guidelines, I don't you know, some people, a lot of people are like, get busy living. Don't be afraid. I'm not afraid because Mm -hmm. I know in my environment that we put the things in place that even if there was someone that was positive, you know, I am involved in every single practice at the facility. I'm coaching every single kid that walks in that door. I'm interacting with them. I don't fear it. Because I have control of the environment and I know I'm putting myself in a position the health department tells me keeps me safe. And as it stands right now, I've I've had nothing. We're 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 good. So I I hope that at some point, if this doesn't break as quickly as we'd like to, uh that the other powers that be, instead of holding so desperately onto that business model that has been so profitable, that maybe we take a step back and say, can we find a way to still make this money in a manner that that doesn't continue to push the envelope on what the experts in the health department are actually telling us we should be doing. Yeah, man, wow. Because we just lost, I mean, Chris Bierman, right? Yep. I know I know people that played for him. I know people that coached underneath him. Guy's 48. Like, I don't want to keep losing people. I don't care if 99% of people survive it. That's one too many in my opinion. I, and it's okay if, you know, there are going to be cases that we can't avoid but I'm tired of watching the behavior around me and people acting in a manner that if someone gets it and gets ill that I know and passes away, I will always have to wonder, could we have done could more? I know we could have done, could more. done it's really. Will it would it have made a difference. Right. I, I don't want that on our con- I don't want anyone
0: to have to deal with that on their conscience. Dude. Can't believe we wasted so much time on that trance stuff when we when we could have we could have been talking about this the whole time. And now again, you got to come back on again. <laughs> you
1: know me, man. I'm I'm, I'm more than happy to. I, oh I, my
0: god, this is super necessary, Brian. Oh man, are you hungry yet?
1: <laughs> I can always eat, but I you know I got I got a little bit more time. Whatever you want, man. I cool, you know. Man. I, I this, um, this is a, this is important, and I know it, there are no, people. No, super necessary. Are, and and I will tell you again. I have absolutely, I, I read an article today uh, about a Middle Tennessee assistant coach who literally was a, a successful coach. And then he went bankrupt. He actually got kind of blackballed for five years because he wrote a tell-all book, book because it's about, you know, the secrecy of coaching. You don't talk about certain things. Mm-hmm. And he came back to Middle Tennessee. He's a, great, he's a brilliant coordinator. Um, he was in a $350,000 a year contract, and it detailed his season that he just went through. And he just had to walk away from two more years at $700,000. And I felt so bad for Jeez. him because at the end of the day, Jeez. that's just a guy that, and he said, he's like, when I came back to coach, I got a second chance. I wanted to just keep my mouth shut and and make a comfortable living. I am looking for people to actually take the health department guidelines seriously that, that the professionals well, the professionals that, that are doing the research in the labs, you know, mm-hmm. and if people, you know, the, the other elephant in the room that we really got to talk about is look, at the end of the day, if you believe that the health department and the scientists that, that are, you know, we've seen people like Fauci actually help with it. We've watched him go through the AIDS pandemic. We can witness it. We've got data, but if people think that he's part of this big, you know keep control of the people and this is you know the coronavirus is
0: all that i mean what it, he just had, what, does he, point, get he it? Just have what does he get out of it what does he get out of it if he does that it, it, it doesn't money the he's point, already rich i mean that's the, i mean the point the, is yeah the point ahead.
1: is is there are resources like uh, you talk about educate people there are people that through their upbringing and life experiences go to to media sources that absolutely justify making us look like we don't know what we're talking about or we're just sheep, right? And I, I respect the reality that they can go to different sources. I don't respect the opinion. I don't agree with the opinion. But I am not naive. If I was given the same upbringing and life experiences as them, how do I know that I don't feel the same way they feel? I mean, I think everyone at some point in their lives had something they believed pretty seriously. And then over time, as they got more life experience and more hands-on knowledge, they're like, you know, or, or just their actual, what they've dealt with, it's like, okay, this is different than what I thought it was. Um, and and we got to to learn from that. So it this is a really tough one, obviously, but you know, at, at the end of the day, I think that the thing that's interesting is the people that feel that way are also, Kind of doing it behind the curtain which makes you wonder well they obviously know from a liability perspective that what they're doing is wrong um yeah because they're hiding but so so it's it's between the economic suffering going on right now and i don't lose sight you know again i don't think that a lot of people doing it differently are just that bad, bad people, evil people, don't care about the kids. No, yeah. I think people are scared because they've had a business model that they've put a lot of money and investment into, and all of a sudden their way of making money, which is these big tournaments, is completely compromised in certain areas. Some places are still running it business as usual. Um, yeah, and it, it's a. This is not a simple. There's a simple way to do it. I'm very lucky that I'm doing two on two in beach because I don't think I could have. You know, I would have tried with the club. You know, if I had a certain amount of kids, I would try and do individual practices Monday, Tuesday, make teams in-house balanced on Wednesday, Thursday, and then maybe scrimmages and then re-roll teams week to week, depending to to keep it as balanced as possible. It, would it have been as, you know, my best kids versus the best kids of all the club? No, the level of play as a whole would have gone down. But I think, I think I think we could do more to give kids, if it's really about playing opportunities, yeah. and we're good enough coaches, you know, I had two months where we were only allowed one-on-ones and, you know, my kids didn't get to actually play other people, but I got 13 year olds that learned how to jump serve with topspin. I got kids that are working on hand setting that have never hand set before. We're even kind of, you know, me being on the sand with them, you know, Hey, you're going to pass a ball and run behind me. I'm going to run a back set because we're going to teach you how to do this. So that when you play in a crosswind, you can do that. There are ways to, to give kids playing opportunities. Um, Instead of looking at it as what we're losing, Okay, this is the hand we're dealt. What can we do in real time? And then when we're allowed to have more people, let's go back to what's the norm. Um,
0: Man, I love these one-on-ones, though. I mean, they're like de facto privates, really. Honestly, I mean, you think about it. Like, I um, did a private with someone who's trying to improve their blocking, so I did something – it's like my own draw, and I probably want to do it for my cap two or whatever, or cap one. Like you introduce your own drill. I call it like the four-point uh, middle blockers drill. But you could do it for beach or for indoors. So first one is you're at the net with them, right? You throw the ball up. And first, I call it redirect, nobody, free, joust. So th- that's the name of the four. It's a four-point drill. It's redirect, nobody, joust. So first ball throw up. Um, I try to joust with them, but they go first. They just, they literally, I'm like, if the ball's still on my side. Literally reach over the net and do this. Throw this way, throw that way. Redirect. Second one, I say, nobody, you know, pop, pop. Give me a three-piece and a soda. Um, (laughs) Then the third one, the third bowl or toss goes over their head where they're like this, but they can't. Then they do this. Boom. I come under the net, back set. You know, strand set if it's beach, strand set, uh, uh, ocean is You get strand. a little workout or, then of that, right? Or like the metal blocker, you like a back one, you know, pump fake, back one. And then the last one is joust. So the joust is about, of course, being second. So I put my, you know, I'm long arm, so I could I could jump all day. My my wingspan's 6'8". So so on an eight-foot <laughs> net, as a coach, I can do it as all. How tall so are you, Jason? I'm only 6'1". Your wingspan's 6'8"? Yeah. Yeah, I'm. Oh um, my gosh,
1: go go gadget over there! Yeah, that's... man,
0: I'm a walking group hug. Look at that! You didn't even see that coming. Ah, oh, <laughs> uh, but um, we're born
1: to play volleyball. But, but that's that was
0: one that. of my favorite drills for like uh, middle blockers. I'm just throwing it your way because on the sand, like some girls want or whatever. And for you, every every. Everything has to have a purpose. Why are you doing a drill? What's the purpose? How is it, you know, why are you talking to me about about this, Jay? This is why I love you so much because me, I, I can just do stuff for nothing. And, you know, all day and all night and whatever. But I love that everything you're doing is purpose driven. So the purpose is to just get the kids into the muscle memory of understanding situations react. And it's a it's a teaching tool on how they're supposed to react. This person's coming to joust. I don't need to hit it. Why am I gonna hit it into into their one arm block and get roof? Whoa. You know, nobody up, pop, pop. Uh, how many times you see someone jump on an overpass and they land and then they fool the team behind them that they're gonna, whatever. So it's this and then this and then relationship with your setter, like Free ball is supposed to be an automatic back one instead of just like a trans one. And then jousting was the most important thing because you have to understand on when to be first and when to be whatever. the, the best call, I tell my, all of my players the best thing that could ever happen in a game is a ref calls over the net on you because you lose the point. But what you do is you make them change the way they, they run their offense. Like that was tight. We survived so that, but now I got to set yep. them off in there and I got to whatever. Yep. So they're good. So they're good ways to lose points. And it's one of my favorite drills. And I created it. Actually, I created it coaching city college, city nice. college. Cause if you've been to city college, we can set up three courts for a practice instead of two. That's a big ass gym. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. F- yeah, for the, so for the people listening at home, he's talking about new and Nazareth. I, I know I was only there because I got city college into the next uh, playoffs that year. Um, but I don't even know why I brought it up. I forgot why I brought this drill up, but it was just an example. Because we were of, talking about of, one-on-ones. Yeah, one-on-ones and this and that and just, just how awesome. In fact, I'm doing a one-on-one after I get off this podcast. I have a friend of mine, uh, Torin Jeffries, and he went from a guy that's just like not winning qualifier matches to this. He's five, undersized 5'8", five, but he's got like a 6'3 wingspan and he's... He's one of those guys that loves the game so much that his enthusiasm works against him. But now he's found a way to just deal, and now he and now there's nothing left to do except play volleyball. And it's, and it's awesome. So I'm gonna work with him later today. But, awesome. but hey, but just the drill I'm throwing your way. I call it, I call it the four point middle drill, the four point middle blocker drill. Redirect, nice. nobody, free joust. <laughs> I like cool. it.
1: So we did yeah. a lot of timing and spacing. Yeah. I don't I don't have. I was watching. Uh, I like. Uh, Burek's been so good about like really, br- I mean, there's no one doing more, I think, in regards to trying to bring education online right now for people. Mm-hmm. Um, looking at a lot of his drills, I- I'm, I'm a, you know, the thing that they talked about with John Wooden um, when he ran the UCLA program was the scouts of their team would say, you know, the thing was, is, is you knew exactly what they were going to do. And it was just like a rock, paper, scissor game. You were going to lose. They're going to do A. And if you stop A, then they've got B as the counter. Yeah. If you about st- if you anticipate poison. that and you stop that, then they've got C. And to stop C, A is open again, right? And you know, you th- I, I you said it earlier, and I agree from a, a excitement perspective. Like, yeah, there there are teams that are doing more shoots, backs. I mean, you look at you know Clays and and Sponsor specifically. I mean, they're just rewriting a lot of what we see on the domestic side on on what's orthodox or not. There's a little bit. Of, it, it's almost like a. a you know, more physical carambula pair. That's what it makes me think of. But uh, for a lot of these kids, you know, I think before you can do all those things, you got to just have your fundamentals down. Our sand is like a little slice of Hermosa. It is super deep and slippery too. So it's been really fun. Like with Kristen, even I, I had a Facebook, I did a live of her just hitting and there's no block, but what we're really working on is her range, right? When she gets a tight ball, getting her right foot to the ball and being like, okay, when it's tight, your option to be able to swing the fast cross ball, you know, kind of like Lucena Rogers, uh, Allen on the men's side, like beating the block on that. You know, if it's too tight, you really aren't going to be able to swing without a block, you know, or with a block when you get, so I, I never wanted them on an open net to just swing line. Right. It's a tight ball. I want you to work on getting your feet under the ball and reaching up. You know, I made my career very important. I, I was a Cobra guy. Um, uh, I was known in Chicago for, for doing that, right? For them, even the knuckle. But, like, I was never the biggest, fastest, strongest. I was very successful with the tight set because I knew how to get my right foot underneath the ball and max jump and reach at my peak and beat the block before I could press on it. Um, against bigger blockers, I had to pull it off a little bit. But – you know for the most part if you take the right footwork it, it you getting an approach versus a block jump it, it was going to be a main draw level block for me you know billy kalinski was one of the people we had to set a little bit off in that form right, right for that for that ball um,
0: i don't even know how a cobra's legal. <laughs> so, <laughs> a cobra is legal well, how's the cobra even legal per- pursuant to had, the rules you know, of volleyball
1: <laughs> i had to be careful because some people were like if your hands are open versus when they're together you know i picked up wayne scott was um he's an indoor jamaican national team setter he came he lives in st louis Never got a match off the guy. I took sets, but but he beat me my first open loss, and and I never was able to beat him. And he would, he jumped, so he's 6'4", long arms, big jump. And he would just cobra, he was jumping so high, he would cobra Strong. parallel, and yeah. it would just flat and go. So mine was much, my, my, my fangs were a little higher because I was having to get, it was like a high line shot. For yeah. Me. And then also teaching the girls, okay, when you're off the net, you know, how to disengage that shoulder? like how to snap the elbow wrist, core. So you can still put some smoke on it, but you know, if the blocker pulls, they can't cover the middle and both corners. Right. So, so, you know, we did a lot of situational if thens so that when they did get to play, right, they were getting quicker at recognizing is the set tight off, inside, outside, low, high. And realistically when a team's playing defense, what are your shots? that are going to be realistic. What are the ones that you're going to be able to do? And it's been really fun, um, even for some of our younger kids, teaching them on the tight side on the left of right-handed to get around it, to open your core up so you've got that cut and then you can poke line and stuff like that. Um, it was a lot of, of spacing things. And we've been playing again. We, we opened back up on the 19th, so it's been about eight days. Had our first practice. And those girls, it was so fun. To watch them reap the benefits of their hard work, and there were definitely some rusty things because they hadn't gone live for yeah. game speed. Yep. But you could certainly see, even when things were off, they were able to, to. To I didn't have to tell them. They, you know, what'd you feel there? Oh yeah, I definitely did get my right foot to the ball. Oh yeah, I was off the net and I forced that perfect cut shot. I need to put a little deeper. Um, it, it's we 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 want to play the hand we're dealt. We want we want to give these kids the best playing opportunities, the best education while while doing so in a manner you know this is for my kids i think that these moments are an opportunity for them to understand what we do as a youth sports program to adapt to times when when the parameters are out of our control and not in our favor and instead of saying well i'm just gonna blame other people you know i'm going to to just disregard the rules i hope that the dynamic well it hasn't been perfect i hope that our parents and players can look at the changes we've made and for our kids as they deal with adversity off the court um maybe this gave them some tools or thinking processes that'll help them in their their education their their careers their relationships
0: and i think this is where people like you and martin Burick, and I'll, I'll say jeff Alzino again uh succeed where a lot of people fail um, on a side note, I, I, it's so cool for someone as lazy as me to be associated with like the three hardest working coaches in America. I'm like, how the hell do you even know Jason? He's not even like one of you guys, you know, in that respect. I'm, look, no, I'm kidding. I'm a hard when I'm there. Believe me, I'm the first one there. I'm the last one to leave. And in, in our minds, we always think we work the hardest. But something you brought up in the beginning of the podcast, bring it all the way back to the end, what you were talking about Um kids who don't fit a a physical demographic and working with those kids and and enjoying the fruits of their labor. It's like, okay, I got a kid who's undersized. I got a kid whose skill set is or whatever. Okay, I got it. Time to do some real work. <laughs> Are we there yet? Are you kidding? Tell me what's the bad news. You know, son. That's that's one of the things I've always respected and admired about you because, at the end, from the, the juniors to collegiate to the pros, when you look at these these goats and some of these great players and these these season MVPs and these these um, uh, these legends, they don't they they um don't always. Or 50-50, they don't fit this, the the physical demographic that that coach is lining people up against the wall, right? Think about who the best player in the Olympic Games in 2016 was. It was it was Oscar Bruno Schmidt. You you think Taylor Crabb's a good defender? Take take someone with Todd Rogers' IQ, where he shaves the foot off the court, but he can still cover the foot. The guy gets to every ball in point eight nine seconds. So if you have a, a cobra or whatever that's in the air for a le- uh, just under a second, he's getting it. So um, Taylor Crabb, 2013 Player of the Year He's in a, he, at Long Beach State. He's an undersized volley, uh, uh, volleyball player. Let's go to um, football, right? They're looking for uh, uh, their quarterbacks. Typically, they want them 6'3 or taller or this or that and, and this and that. But if you look at all the great quarterbacks to ever play the game, not to mention Super Bowl champions, only two of them. Only two Super Bowl winners are, are six are, are six four or taller. Two out of out of fifty some odd Super Bowls. So, so it's I I love the work you do because you are not just working with people where they're finding a discipline where they have to be cooperative and they have to respect other people's time and at the same time they learn a sport and they become a better person through learning volleyball because that's a whole that's a whole other podcast right? Learning to be a better person through playing your sport, but somewhere. Maybe, maybe not. Because guys like you stuck with it. This person could be the next big star. And, and that would have never happened in the stand up against the wall. Or you're too short or, the, or this or whatever and this and that. So sometimes it's about a kid wanting it bad enough. But sometimes it's about a coach that believes in them too. Or a coach that's saying, saying look, okay, you do want it bad enough. I'm going to show you the way. Because we just had this conversation twenty minutes ago about about COVID and about re, uh, accepting realities and not not accepting can't, but if we can, how? Love you for so, that, dude. So love you for that, dude.
1: Oh, I appreciate that, man. Yeah, man. That's why I, I love coming on the show. Oh. I'm happy to talk about it. You know, as a player, and and mm-hmm. I'll I'll drop this on your show. I'm I'm writing my book, and like it it's happened. Like I'm actually in the process. I've talked about it for years. It's like the the family guy like you know oh, gonna write that novel like i'm actually in the pro i started a week ago i'm already 20 pages in uh it's gonna just really be chron- chronologically um my experience as both a youth sports athlete as i got into coaching you know working my way to the college up to division one and then coming back to juniors and and you know the lessons that came from it um and so it's interesting because it's funny i haven't I don't think about my youth sports experience too much, but now I'm trying to get into detail because I want to share it with people. And I was five, 95 pounds with a size 12 shoe going at high school. So you can imagine how, how gazelle like I was with that physique. Um, I looking at my dad's old tapes of me playing basketball, I look like I'm wearing his shoes, except for my feet were bigger than his. So I was wearing bigger. Um, and, and I remember in, in high school, you know, I, I was a hard worker. I, I every conditioning drill I I was always trying to beat even the, the seniors. But my freshman year coach was was just a teacher. So we started every practice with 25 minutes of running. That's all that's all we start practice. But I ran my twenty-five minutes as hard as I could. Um I worked my way up to varsity um as a libero, um and and was was nicknamed Gump one day when trying to to um you know, st- talk a little trash with the upperclassmen. And the guy just looks at me and says, you look like the little kid of Gump. And I was Gump for three years, right? Um, which I could deal with some ribbing, but the coach literally bullied me to gain, you know, bonding with the upperclassmen. And I never forgot that. And and I was pretty low. So I, I worked my butt off. And what I watched was my friends that were a foot taller. It wasn't about playing time. It was about getting better. They spent more time with them, Right. And, and we weren't, we weren't going to win a championship. We were My freshman year is the first year we had a boys volleyball program, right? Um, so I don't know what we're chasing, but you're not even giving kids the same opportunity. And if it wasn't for a very chance circumstance in community college where I had a teacher say, get to know your, your kid next to you, and it was a girl on the volleyball team. And I went to the match because I'm an awkward 19-year-old. I'm like, hey, this is a way to talk to girls. Um, after the match, we, we you know, students start hopping on the court. I hopped on. I, you know, I played four years and two years of a small club. So I knew what I was doing enough. And the coach saw me and said, hey, I'm always looking for managers. That guy, uh, Bob Vilsaway at Harper, for two years pushed me into playing and um, taught me things. Every time I said something low self-esteem about myself, he pushed hard. Like it wasn't just like, you're wrong. It's like, no, you're wrong. You can do something with this sport. Right. And so many of these kids to, to, to kind of go as a coach, um, you know, one of the toughest parts with, with new kids, especially kids that may not be as big, fast, strong as appears is, is getting them to, to, if you're going to make a mistake, make it go in a hundred percent. You know, the moment you go half speed you drop your elbow, you're just trying to be safe, get the ball in bounds. We're we're not growing from that, right? I don't want when we're doing hitting or serving to focus on just only putting the ball in bounds. I want to use the right technique and if you miss it, we'll fix your timing and spacing. It's really hard to expect these kids to buy into you will not be punished for your mistakes when they're coming from programs where their parents and them themselves, you know, tell me about how they're having the same experience i had and they're smart they can see it these kids are getting this opportunity to train and i'm not so we're developing this this generation of kids that are being treated differently based on the results and so how are we supposed to get them to buy into and embrace their process focus when they've accurately been punished for for making mistakes it it breaks my heart because i see these kids that that really have a good love for the game and and yeah this sport's relentless at the beginning it is tough to be a beach doubles player at the age of 12 13 40. it's tough as adults um and getting them to to recognize that it's okay to make mistakes as long as we're making the right ones and we can grow from it and and you know I don't know what to do for them when you know I, I they there's a social aspect of playing in their high schools but it it's it's frustrating on their behalf when I, I can recognize them recognizing that they are treated differently based on how good that when my whole motto that I put on our big banners, we coach for you, you don't play for us. And it's really hard to, to see a lot of these kids being put in programs where they're truly playing for the program. And if they, they can't bring something organically, you know, we're going to take your check. You're going to keep showing up, but we're going to give your friend that six inches taller or jumps higher, or hits harder. Uh, the coaching that you deserve, you're paying for, uh, but it doesn't benefit us to give it to you because we're not going to get the same yield.
0: Yeah, well, those are the real coaches out there, you know. Like me for evolution, one of the first jobs I had when I moved to California, it was like, okay, you got a good team, but both of your setters are undersized. Your your backup setter or whatever, <laughs> you know. And you should run a six two, and I'm like, no, I'm a five one guy. And I found a way to, way to make it work. We were 41st in California. By the time we got to Nationals, we were fifth in the country. And next year, it's like, you got two outside hitters, but both of them have an attitude. <laughs> and, and, and they're not going to listen to you. I'm like, sure, okay. So every year, like, challenges became bigger and bigger. It's like, well, the, 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 you lost your best player to uh, Rockstar and this guy's moving on that guy's moving on i'm like okay and I'm, I'm i make one middle and outside i make one middle and opposite or whatever and then the next year comes the good news is we get you got jesse back from rockstar but you you just lost three of your starters and i'm like sure so now my other starting outside hit is five six but he can jump and i'm working with him and then this year comes oh by the way this is the worst roster you have they're underskilled and oh yeah and it's and we don't have a gym <laughs> So, so you got to teach them skill set for indoor and offense, but we, we only have a gym one day a week, and then boom, guess what? We don't have that gym. So now all of the practices are more exclusive on the beach, and I'm just like, gee, I t- this last year was the first year I actually felt it because every year that we have challenges, guys like you and me are like, all right, cool, I get to I get to put some real work in instead of playing glorified babysitter, you know. Thank the Lord, but man, this year I was like, dude. Why don't you just why why even play on something as old school as a court? Why don't you just put me in a shark tank? All right. Just and the only way and the only way to beat my opponent is to stuff the opponent in a shark and spike the shark. You know, it was just, <laughs> it was just so it, it was one of the most frustrating seasons for me. But at the same time, I never fell in love with a team as much as I fell in love with these guys. They gave me their heart. They gave me their all. And the parents, you know, really, really appreciated the work I put. They they appreciated the work I put in, and I didn't even do any work yet. They, you know, they they gave me that respect coming in due to my reputation. And I'm just like, dude, I've, I I never had a team that skill set was so not up to par with my last four years. But at the same time, the team I love the most. And they're probably going to listen to this podcast. They know I'm not insulting them. But <laughs> but um, there's a reality. But there's also um, mad love that goes with that reality. Oh, I, I got mm-hmm. there's
1: a team in 2013. Mm-hmm. I was coaching for a club full time. We had eight 15s teams. And. I was at the director's house. We were, we were talking about some things for programming. And all of a sudden, her phone starts blowing up. And the 15-7's team, um, their coach left before finding out that they had a three-game tiebreaker, right? And um, another coach from the, the club that was hosting actually took over for them. But it was clear, like, that guy was getting fired, right? And I remember telling um, that coach or the director, I said, hey, I, I want this team. Uh, cause I'd worked with some of those girls that opened gyms and, and, you know, you can imagine seven out of eight teams, the, the level of athleticism I was necessarily working with. Um, so I, I, met the parents and, and got to know them a little bit and, and let them air out their frustrations with what happened with their previous situation. Um, I allowed them to tell me like, when you signed up for your kids for this program, what are your goals? And then I explained my philosophy and how I thought they can intermingle. And if they were willing to stick it out instead of quitting the club, um, it'd be a privilege to, to work with their kids because I've worked with a couple of them and I don't care about wins and losses. I, I just would like the, op- I, I saw that you were wronged. I relate to these kids because that's kind of what I was at 15 and I'd love a shot at them. And we, we had a meeting with the kids I let them talk about how they felt about things. Um, you know, we, we had a meeting and we, we set our, our philosophy. So the first practice, we play against the eights team. So it's a team lower than us. And I come to find out that while it's February and we're three months in, um, they don't even know perimeter defense. They've been taught absolutely no system. Oh, dear. They're just running and diving at the ball. <laughs> so, um, So we go to work, you know. and and every kid's working on every fundamental. We do game-like stuff. By the end of the season, we're we're splitting games with our national program threes team. Um, The last tournament of the year, we go to Navy Pier. Four of the seven matches they play against ones teams for their respective clubs. The last game we played against a Minnesota team or a Michigan team that was a ones team. And we're battling and we lose 25-17, 25-17. But at 24-17, my kids on the quarter dialed into the next point. My kids on the sidelines are cheering them on. And we had some clicks we had to break up. And, and, you know, when I say break up, we had to put kids together and talk about why there's the division. And we found common bonds there. I It's the only time I've really, you know, got a little dusty in the room with, with my kids because I said, girls, it was been a long season. We had a lot of obstacles. But at the end of the day, you girls played the perfect match. I couldn't have asked more of you for what those kids were and where we started. Anyone walking past that court would have never said, Oh, that's a one scene versus a seven scene. Right. And, and I don't think there's a single thing I could have asked you girls to do differently. That would have changed. That that was the best. We walk off the court with our head held high. It's, it's truly, you know, not win or lose how you play the game. They played the perfect tournament to finish. And um, I always, you know, I've coached division one, coach national champions on the beach. I've coached some of the top women and, and some of the men in the area, that team is always got a special place in my heart because, um, you know, for, for, it was not easy, but for five months they bought in and, and I know with certainty that some of those girls are going to carry, I'm glad that they were able to, to not walk away from that situation and just feel like, wow, our coach walked out on us. We're going to quit volleyball and no one, cares about us because we're, we're the, the leftovers. Um, those kids, you know, some of them were on the twos team for 16s next year. Uh, I think three of them are actually playing college D three ball. Um, it's, it's just above, above everything. I just liked the fact that, that, you know, we, we bonded. Like those kids really put the work in. And, and sometimes I think my, my closest bonds are with the kids that didn't necessarily hit their primary goals with obviously wanting to win tournaments, lot. You know, or or things like that, but you could see by the end of it um, that they understood that it's not all about like if I win, I'm a success; if I lose, I'm a failure. And I, I, you know, we're we're coming up almost on ten years. God, they're they're literally graduating college at this point. Um, I hope to get them together for a ten year reunion, and I can't wait to see what they're doing off the court and and share war stories and. You know, that's what coaching should be about is, is 99% of these kids are going to be done with volleyball, you know, by the time they get to about 21, 22, you hope they play it at the adult level at some level, but have we given them an experience that they can take, you know, positive memories, but also tools that when they do leave, um, they can utilize to achieve their dreams and whatever, you know, for us, what volleyball is, what's their volleyball. Yeah. And did we give them things that they can make applicable? It
0: just creates better human beings, dude. You know, just creates better human beings, you know, Hunter High School. I was a head coach there five years, academic school. You know, they're all going to go to Ivy League schools anyway. I just wanted to make sure they were better, better versions of themselves when they went there. You know, in fact... We won the PSALs in 2014, and it was the first championship team that produced no NCAA players. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah, my outside hitter went to Johns Hopkins. They don't have an NCAA team. My oppo and and libero went to Brown. They don't have an NCAA team. Smart kids. You know, so my setter went to Yale. Um, They don't have a team, so – my middle went to Vassar, but he was going there for basketball. He's a two-sport athlete, so it was just—it was really, really odd to, to you know, sure. to have a team win a title, you know, and not and not. Hey, so, you can be good and so, love the sport and yeah. not
1: make it your primary source of your life, you nah, know. and but just and Good on those kids. Yeah, but to, vo- to know in their heart that volleyball that creates even better though,
0: human beings, man.
1: Yeah, Volley- and and, you and know? good for them to be able to play. Mm-hmm. But also have the knowledge that at that age, that that what the sport doesn't have to be to them.
0: True, you know, dude, we're g- I love it. We're going on close to three hours, man. It's our it's our new record. You know, oh, I'll man. come
1: back, man. Anytime yeah. you want. So. Hey,
0: people want to know more about your volleyball club. Let's plug our site. Let's plug your yeah. site or or information. If someone wants to get to know what Brian McDermott's doing. What are you up to? Yeah. You can go All to right?
1: progressionvolleyball.com. We actually got to update the, the new tier system. It's it's. <laughs> I've been coaching so much, I got to get that website updated. But mm-hmm. you know, we're in the Chicagoland area. We got two state-of-the-art indoor courts. Um, we're very focused on our, our um, parameters on, on keeping it safe. But once you get on the court, we we everyone that's playing is still having a really good time. It's business as usual. Um, we work with players of all levels. I coach some kids that are brand new to the sport. I coach kids that are playing in co- that are um, committed to playing college. I coach adults that you know play the sport recreationally but like to learn the fundamentals. Um, group training you know we got people that that come in in groups of four or eight sometimes they just rent the courts to play and that's great uh, other people want to do actual training the whole time it's been a lot of fun lately where we do like an hour of instruction and then they just play for an hour and we do it on a recurring basis which is nice because then um you know every week they okay when you played what did you retain from the lesson what did you feel you struggle with most and we're catering the lessons directly to them so our program is about um making it about the kids you know if they want to play and learn the sport but it want to be fun we're not going to chew them out uh, we coach for them they don't play for us so it's it's been there going it really well we look forward to uh bigger and better things as as the pandemic uh starts to subside a little bit and I'm sure we'll be talking more about that next time I'm on, because if Definitely. You, you invite me, I'll be there.
0: Yeah, man, I'm just trying to get to our restaurant. <laughs> Speaking <laughs> of restaurants, I'm hungry. And Brian McDermott might love all of you guys, but I can't stand you. In fact, I think I'm <laughs> out of here, all right? So for all of you listening to this, for all of you at home, Amy, what's up from Chicago? You know she's going to be listening to this, probably listen to the live version awesome. of
1: this. She's awesome.
0: Yeah, man, for all of you in, and for all of you on your desktop which doesn't break down for all of you on your iPads for all of you on your droid for Brian McDermott. this is episode 76 option podcast. I am Jason DeBeas. We are out of here. We're out. Thanks for having me, Jason. Come check out the option podcast on optionvb.com. It's also available on iTunes and Spotify and on YouTube under the NY varsity sports handle. You're going to love what you hear.